tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. And uh, Leanne is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, we'll chat to Johnny Luby, as usual, on a Friday in just a few moments' time. Why is it getting harder and harder to get gluten-free food? And this follows on from some conversations we had on the programme yesterday. Are dog owners facing a ban on shock collars? And, of course, our Friday panel will unpack the big topics of the week so all of that and much much more on the way you can text on whatsapp 083 311 you can email tip today at tipfm.com and we're almost glad to hear from you let's have a quick look at what's making headlines today and i suppose the big story right across the newspapers has to be toy show uh, the musical and uh, RTE's uh, second-in-command, Adrian Lynch, has questions to answer over the costly flop that was Toy Show. The musical politicians have warned in a scathing 68-page independent report into the project, which lost 2.2 million of your money, uh, found it required RTE board approval, but this was not sought or provided. So in other words, they squandered uh, over €2 million Euro and uh, still they're looking for people to be up in court for not paying a TV licence. It's interesting, isn't it? That was according to the Irish Daily Mail. The Irish Indo telling us that criminals involved in a notorious prostitution ring are using a European privacy law to hide online articles about their crimes. Let's have a look at the Irish Examiner. And the main story there, one about uh, climate change and delayed action in reducing emissions will leave Ireland with an unrecognisable climate with heat extremes, intense rain and floods becoming more severe and common, a landmark report has warned. Also interesting story across the newspapers today. It's on the front of the examiner that Ryanair's purchase of nearly all the houses in a housing estate in Swords in County Dublin for its staff has caused anger among would-be homeowners. You can understand that too. The Irish Times, and uh, dominated by a remarkable photograph indeed of uh, uh, an ancient human remains that uh, are uh, over 2,000 years old and have been discovered in a bog in County Derry. But it's a remarkable photograph. Also, the Irish Times uh, uh, giving us that story today that the government is planning to suspend signing new contracts with hotels to accommodate people fleeing war in Ukraine. That's under proposals considered by senior ministers yesterday, but a revised accommodation strategy is being drawn up by the Department of Integration, including a plan to terminate contracts for unsuitable accommodation and that's according to a briefing uh, paper for Cabinet there. That's a look at what's making headlines today. Do you want to make comment on any of that? If so, again 083 311 Now, is the government determined to push ahead with a policy of open borders and multiculturalism. Well, that's what one local election candidate from Waterford believes after he made a submission to the Joint Committee of Public Petitions calling for the government to close borders to refugees and asylum seekers 
and deport all illegal, unvetted and undocumented migrants. Here was the reply from the Department of Justice to that, which was read by the Petitions Committee Chair, Tipperary um, T.D. Martin-Brown. Number one, Ireland has and continues to benefit significantly from immigration. Immigrants have contributed to our economic expansion, filled criteria, skill gaps, and diversified and enhanced our culture, which is becoming increasingly globalised, as in the case in most developed nations around the world. Number two, the government recognises the value and importance of immigration and is committed to ensuring that Ireland is an attractive place to live, work and study. The government is also committed to upholding the integrity of our immigration systems. These are the processes under which the people from outside the EU come to live in Ireland. Number three, Ireland is a signatory of the 1951 United Nations Refugee Convention and participates in relevant provisions of the common European asylum system, including the 2004 Qualifications Directive, the 2004 Common Procedures Directive, Dublin Three Regulation, Eurodac Regulation and Reception Conditions Directive. EU member states have a shared responsibility towards these, those seeking protection and work together to ensure protection applicants are examined robustly and fairly and following uniform standards across the EU. Number four, the migration <coughs> and asylum pact is a set of regulations and policies that aim to create a fairer, efficient and more sustainable migration and asylum process for the European Union. The pact is designed to manage and normalise migration for the long term, providing certainty, clarity and decent conditions for people arriving in the EU. It also seeks to establish a common approach to migration and asylum that is based on solidarity, responsibility and respect for human rights. It includes reform of the common European asylum system and measures on legal migration, integration, combating migrant smuggling, returns policy and the external dimension of migration and cooperation in partnerships with third countries. The Department is actively examining all these EU asylum and migration pact proposals in order to identify how best Ireland might implement these measures should the government decide to opt in. The government will continue to build efficient and effective migration pathways for the essential workers Ireland needs to support its society and economy, as well as maintaining robust border controls at our ports and airports to ensure those arriving are legally entitled into Ireland. The government also recognises the importance of supporting the maintenance, development and promotion of an inclusive, cohesive Ireland where the humanity and dignity of all persons is recognised. The recommendation is that the correspondence from the Department of Justice be forwarded to the petitioner for comment within 14 days. Now, I'd love to know what you, you make of that. I've listened to, to that. I won't subject you to listening through that a, a few times, but I did, and it could all be summed up in one word, No. Uh, because, again, the um, the uh, subject of the petition there from that uh, Waterford local election candidate was close borders to refugees and asylum seekers and deport all illegal, unvetted and undocumented migrants. And basically, to sum up what Martin Brown read out there, was the word no, I would imagine. I'd love to know what you, what do you think about that. Uh, 083 311 Start for Johnny Luby. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, friend. How are you How's today, Johnny? Not too bad, friend, at all, you guys. Not Good. too bad after a, a rough weekend. Last weekend, weather-wise, was unbelievable, but yeah. uh, got better during the week. But like everything else, friend, I suppose, we're coming to the first of spring. Is it next weekend? 
Uh, is, so, is it next weekend? I'm always confused about the seasons. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, right. yeah, that's great. I think myself. I think myself. There's only two seasons: winter and summer. <laughs> and the winter in my book comes in in October, doesn't end until March. And yeah, I know. Then yeah. the summer comes in as well. But we long for the fine weather or the uh, we, trip abroad or whatever the case. We may do be. indeed. Yeah, for sure. Um, hearty cup, I suppose, to begin with, Johnny. That's right, Jeff. Yeah. Brilliant for the county of Tipperary that we had two teams in the last four. Uh, absolutely magnificent. And happiest congratulations to me and CPS in getting to the Hearty Cup final. Uh, it's a wonderful occasion for the town. And I'd say, a friend, that maybe Tip FM might take a trip up that way next week to meet the likes of Michael Cleary and all yeah. those uh, GA followers and sporting followers to what it means to the various clubs around as well to have two and three, maybe one player in cases uh, uh, on the Hearty Cup panel. It's Brilliant all together for them, you know, and one would like to commiserate really with the uh, tallest CBS. They put up a marvellous show against Arts Reach, who possibly are the favourites to win it out. Mm. But uh, Tullis, uh seemingly, from what I'm reading on the Star and the Nationalist and the local papers and listening to people that were there uh, from even nu- neutral uh, grounds, because it was uh, only over the road, mm. they said that... Uh, the last score of the game was really controversial, you know. But the referees make the decisions, and that's it, you know. And I suppose when when the, when the scores are very tight, there's always uh, uh, down yeah. to a, a, a final point, you know. But look, the very best of luck to Nina, and as I said, commiseration to Tullus. They will be back, please God. They were fine batch of players there, and uh, disappointing for them. But mm. uh, to Nina, we say the very best of luck. They played a hearty cup final. That's going to be down in the Ennis uh, in a couple of weeks' time when they take on our skull reach. The two teams will go out of Munster. Uh, one, the back door and the front door uh, will be in operation. So uh, all isn't lost, but every team would like to uh, win the blue ribbon of colleges hurling the Hearty Cup. I mean, it's it's known the Linton Brett of Ireland, whereas I can't tell you the uh, name of the Linster uh, Colleges uh, Cup that they play for, but certainly uh, the Hearty Cup if you play Hearty Cup, you can always say you've played Hearty Cup, but you win or lose, it's immaterial. Mm. But well, it's I, I, I think it has its reputation because of you. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. because of your involvement. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I always say take the Hearty Cup because uh, I came out of the leaving stuff the first year with a couple of honours and uh, papers flying in all directions and absolutely delighted jobs here, there and every place and I said then that made me captain uh, for the second year to go back and repeat the leave and stuff and I think I must be the only one in Ireland who failed it on the second occasion <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I love it indeed what yeah, about rugby uh, Johnny and I suppose Munster yeah, being beaten I suppose is the yeah as I was trying just to finish on the holding Newport mm. uh, uh school they won the Munster College's uh, post-primary uh, Munster Championship and uh, well done to them and of course the high school in Clanmel they're in the Munster College's B final against uh, the Waterford opposition and it's wonderful for Tipperary and for Clanmel especially the high school and the surrounding areas there whether they're from uh, Kilsealan or uh, Grange Mokler or Feddert or wherever they're going to school from the areas they're going into the high school it's brilliant to be in the Munster College's B final and the very best of luck to them that's on uh, shortly as well so well done to all concerned down in that neck of the woods. For sure. Yeah, uh, yeah friend, the rugby, I suppose, was disappointing last uh, 
Friday, Saturday evening uh, with Munster, you know, that we had the upper hand and uh, that and they were down to 14 players, you know, and their out half was absolutely brilliant on the day. He dictated everything from number 10 to the very same as Johnny Sexton. And it was disappointing for Munster that we weren't able to overcome it. And by amazing quirk of fate, we're actually into the last days in the Heineken Cup as we know mm. it. But, but now we're down to play the same team again back in their venue. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a hard one to win. But look, they'll probably have you're going into a, a big Heineken Cup game. You're shot. You're two all stars. You're two buys from uh, South Africa who won the, the World Cup in rugby. You hadn't them last weekend, and you're also shot one or two others. Mm. And, and uh, as a result of that, then look, it's very hard. You need a full panel of players. You know, our extended panel whilst they're good, they. they when you're on subs, they have to make an impression. Yeah. That's what it's all about, yeah. you know. But the, uh, Leinster won easily. I'd say uh, Leinster are probably favourites to win out the uh, Heineken Cup. Look, the best of luck to them. And, uh, Fran, yeah, in the local rugby scene, there was only matches on on Saturday. They were the three senior matches where Clanmel, uh, Nina and Cashel all had victories. Uh, Nina just got out under the wire before the final whistle and uh, looked at top of the league still Cashel are really back and at the heels they're absolutely flying they had, a, they had a couple of our players back from injury that made a huge uh, difference to them Mikey Wilson one for example was back he hadn't played against Nina and Vincent O'Connor had said to me in Cashel that when one or two of our players come come back he said we will certainly he says, uh, be there or thereabouts and how right he is at the moment uh, mm. the, it's all systems go there, there were some but, cancellations uh, as well of games Johnny because of the weather I suppose that's, yeah. that's right Jeff and Kilpeakle and Tullus Clam William all the junior games were called off as indeed all the juvenile games yeah. the Munster branch made a call on Saturday night with the extreme weather that we were getting that uh, uh, travel and all of that would be out of the question so as a result of that then uh, Kilpeakle are travelling down to a place called Sundays well in Cork they were a senior club a few years ago they're playing them tomorrow evening I think it's in a challenge cup or league it's one of those games anyway uh, and that so that the rest of the clubs around the Galbellies and the Calican Shores and the Feddups and the whole lot they'll be all out in action uh, uh, this weekend and look the best of luck to them all and of course Fran uh, St. Michael's and Clanmel uh, mm. Celtic uh, advance in the uh, in the FAI Junior Cup where over maybe 900 teams start down they're into the last uh, I think it's the last eight uh, Pete Villa I think the match was called off last weekend after 20 minutes and I think they might have to travel away now because of the match being called off and to be marvellous to have three Tipperary teams in, uh, heading yeah. for the quarterfinals to be absolutely brilliant and of course from Tullus went ahead last uh, Sunday with their uh, racing programme I was over there it was a, a fantastic uh, uh, that they got through the card and of course Willie Mullins dominated proceedings of one of his Good horse, Aloho, who would be favourite for the big race in Cheltenham. I see this morning on the papers he has been withdrawn due to injury. And he gave a spectacular performance on uh, Sunday last in the, the in Tullus. Was there a good turnout so, there, Johnny? There was a fine turnout yeah. considering the weather, friend. We got drenched to the backside, yeah, but look, yeah. We, we won a few quid, so and I want to thank Mark and everybody working by sports for uh, 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 looking after me as well. So, friend, everybody has to be right. thanked that look after us. Ah, uh, sure don't I know? We we have to mention Rachel Blackmore because making history yet again. You know, I mean, it's incredible. That's right, Jeff French. Yeah, she won the Tiestis chase just yeah. being going Park. Uh, the Melbourne Cup in Australia, they call it the race that stops a nation. Uh, in 
Gordon Park in Kilkenny for the tires they chased, they called it uh, the race that stops the county. There was a huge crowd down there, I'd say, like I was talking to a few lads there uh, that uh, stayed in Kilkenny last night. They normally stay and come back in in the morning. They said it was a wonderful atmosphere and it looked absolutely brilliant racing. You know, again, Willie Mullins dominated there most of it. But Brian Atchison, who owns the... Uh, Emigrants Rest, just mm. at the other side of the town of Clanmel, down near uh, the, the, the river. Mm. Uh, the old Brian bridge there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, The old bridge, that's yeah. exactly where it is. Brian had two good winners yesterday, so half days congratulations to him. He'll have maybe six or seven horses to run, please God, in Cheltenham, so the very best of luck to him and his uh, uh, connections. Uh, they run under the pen name Rob Corr, or O-B-C-U-R, so the best of luck to him. Very, very, very good indeed. You have some sympathies as well, some condolences. That's right, Jeff. Yes, certainly. Uh, I suppose mm. every week uh, uh, people depart and are sincere sympathies this time around to the uh, Quirk family there in Moaclustown in Clareham on the death of Liam Quirk. Mm. Uh, I met uh, his wife Mary yesterday and the girls and their son as well and uh, there was a huge crowd there on uh, Wednesday night uh, in McCarthy's in Fedot. I met Jasper, of course, he was asking for you. Um, Great old character, uh, isn't he? Uh, well, he has me. I was held by fine. I think he's looking for you as well yes, to, take your, uh, to, to take your measure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, a fine old yeah. scout, but friend, there was a huge crowd there. And uh, I'll always remember being uh, there. I would not Friday morning when I went to Tip FM. I normally come back by Clarehan and mm. I used to call into the Quirks. Yes. They'd be related to my father in law, John Quirk, a lot of him as well. And uh, they always kept up the. Uh, relationship and that but uh, Liam had a wonderful horse I was set there a couple of years ago and he used to love the story a horse called Master Monday himself and PF and John Quirk was after selling cattle in Fedot and of course he came back uh, uh, home then and uh, he said that he'd a tip for a horse in the Swedes huddle it was known at the time in Leperstown a horse called Master Monday so I had a tenner each way on him and he wins this is 40 years ago friend he wins at 25 to 1 it was some amount of money then I genuinely thought all my birthdays came together so I went into Dick Corkham in Tipperary Town the Lord of Mercy on him that's Noel Corkham's dad he was yeah. doing sheepskin coats and I bought a sheepskin coat £200 now I was on a high when everybody had nothing, I was going around with this sheepskin coat. I was like Delby in one of them episodes of Fools and Hosses. And yeah. Absolutely delighted. One night, friend, I went off Lampin' Rabbits, and I had a sheepskin coat in the back of the seat of the car. And I put the Lampin' gear and the battery up on top of it. And going around some bend, I didn't even hear the battery took a dump. And of course, the acid came out. Oh, God. And I never realised anything until... Uh, uh, maybe the, the month after I went to put on my sheepskin coat, I saw a hole in the back seat of the bloody car and my, and my sheepskin coat, and I went to button it up, and it came away in three pairs. So I won't forget Master Monday for many of those uh, wonderful reasons. But I, a lot of nothing in front. And then when I call in there uh, to Moclos Town, friend, yeah. lovely homemade brown bread oh, and uh, a, a cup of tea and a good old chat for maybe 20 minutes and leg it back to Golden Den. But wonderful people and my sympathies and all our sympathies to the uh, Quirk family. Well, and for sure, uh, yeah. Why, why are you picking out uh, Senator Gareth Ahern? Um, Oh, yeah, and uh, to be fair to him, like, he brought up about the uh, restaurant. He did, indeed, uh, yes. Uh, which, I had, which I had mentioned last weekend, that over 500 of them are about to close and ready to close, and some yeah. have closed. But you look at temporary uh, town with... Uh, yeah, know. all for the want of uh, even a small thing like the vet rate. Yeah. I mean, take it down right. I think, I, if I heard Gareth right, he was saying, like, leave it at 
we just say whatever it is percent in 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 Dublin, uh, and that because they seem to have uh, all the, uh, the the visitors and uh, the houses are full stops, full full up signs and everything else. But when you have the restaurants and the likes of Tipperary Town, Cashel and Tullus and the whole lot, and like they're all finding the going tough. You know, I mean, yeah. as I said before, Franny, if you have nine or ten work, you're looking at four or five thousand a week wages, and you have overheads then of another three or four thousand and that, and it ain't easy uh, uh, for them to remain open. And look, it's like everything else, Bailey's in Cashel there and uh, uh, all the other lovely yeah. restaurants in Cashel. Mikey and, Ryan's. And and, and, yeah. Mikey Ryan's, yeah. You'd love to see them remaining open. With Shea Hansfran, all top yeah. class, you know. Yeah. But uh, you better mention look, Tommy uh, Grogan, or you'll get no, you'll get no more ice cream. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing: he's some man. He'd sign up Stevens and David on mind. It's right in the middle of a frosty wet on the whole hut. Cones for sale, half price. Now I wouldn't believe the half price. He would have, he would have cones, all right. Oh, but uh, yeah, Fran, we were in Boston's uh, the other night as well. There was an astro of people asking for you. Was there? Uh, Good. I, I don't Good. Watch, I, I couldn't believe it. But when I was wondering, uh, but I hope Gareth actually continues this fight and bring, brings it straight to yeah, the when top. When he said he was going to bring it to Simon Coveney, the, what, what is he, I'm Minister for Enterprise? Waste time. Waste time. Waste time. Don't mind that, Todd. Just go straight to the very top and that's it. Get well, it he's a good relationship center. with uh, Mr. Coveney, so you never know. He might be able to. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, Simon Coveney. I didn't actually meet him in Golden when he was canvassed there a few years ago. He was walking up one side of the street and I was going to go over. Mm. And uh, I think he played rugby against Kilfiegel years ago. Was he kind of guilty side, and he might have got a bit of a hammer to go on the hill. So he had my Kilfiegel jumper on me. But anyway, listen, this this is uh, we had you had a great man on last Saturday, that Sunday morning. You whilst you were in bed, seven o'clock to eight o'clock, Father Joe Welsh. Ah, sure, he's fantastic, isn't he? Himself and Father Coffee, they keep the show going. Yeah. But I'll always remember Father Joe Welsh. Uh, he was based above in Gortonhoe, Glengoole, and Tipperary won the All Ireland the McCarthy Cup mm. and uh, of course he had it at second mass and he got the father and mother of a collection <laughs> uh, uh, money wise because every Tom, Dick and Harry and Mary and Joanne they all came to mass and of course they all put money they, they ran out the basket was full so they sent the McCarthy Cup around yeah. and they got that full to the gills with money so I was collecting it you see about half twelve because I was bringing it to the junction races to the show day of this McCarthy Cup so I pushed it into the front seat of the car and put on the safety belt on it <laughs> for the crack <laughs> so anyway I'm coming through Cashville at about 100 miles an hour I got pulled by the squad you know, I let your man come back I didn't get out of the car at all I let the car come back and he said do you know what you're doing I said oh, yeah I said, look I said I'm in a bit of a hurry with this thing here my god he said he looked looked at his first that I said the McCarthy Cup can I take a photo of it? <laughs> so, man, the McCarthy Cup got me out of a house. To oh, that place he said, belt away. He said, but take your time. I said, right, because thanks very much, Gail. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they were, and of course, friend, I have to say hello to a lovely girl called Kate who works in Glasheens and Holy Cross. They'd be asking for you there oh, and for the people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we also have... Uh, this Tommy O'Kane, this fella from uh, Bridge, he knows you well. He met you, friend, a good long time ago. And he he, he has to meet you again. Yeah, I used I, to play music there, but that's about 40 years ago or more. Yeah, but I think, friend, this could... Did you play off in the Liston Berman? I there? did. I used to play there, sure, a lot for years, yeah. Hey, yeah. friend, was there, he met you. Ah, was it there? I'll tell you now. No, he did say... Well, what well, happens in Liston Varna stays in Liston Varna. That's exactly what that he it? said. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we won't go into it. He said, but I said, Grant. Uh, Grant, also, I want to uh, 
uh, say thanks to your own girl, Emma. And yeah. I wish her the very best of uh, luck. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the best of luck to you, girl, Leanne, uh, uh, and that. Yeah. Uh, I was in the Bridge House last night in Golden. And well, I got, a report, I got a report of that from Jamie. And he said, why didn't you go in? Because he saw you peeking in the door at the social dancing. <laughs> 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 Trent, what a what? place it is on a Tuesday oh, night. Was absolutely rocking in there. John, uh, John I mean, Joe is brilliant there. He, he's running I met John Joe inside yeah. the door and I pulled in. This other fella, Tommy Kane, now nothing to Tommy O'Kane. Mm, yeah. Tommy Kane from Knockabilly. He's a fine bloody singer as well. Uh, I brought Tommy in for a look. I said, I'm back in a second. And whatever look I gave, here's Tommy outside the floor and he walls in the way. So <laughs> the boys took a photo of it and we had a. Uh, Tony Coney and Christy Ryan and all them, they, they all say hello to you. And of course, uh, Noel Griffin, he's yes. from Anacarty, the Bean Jobby Jacks. Ah, uh, sure, I know. I know all the Griffin. Great family right. up there from that. From oh, that top of words, class. Eh? And he's a top class man himself. He works at that lovely place in Cashel, the recycling centre. Mm. What yeah. a place it is in Cashel. It's unbelievable. And the service they give there is, I often wonder why would the people out there uh, throw bags of stuff on the side of the road and the whole bloody lot when you have a recycling centre in Cashel and just bring it in and it's easy enough to talk to the lads. There's yeah. no problem there with him. I think no one could be the head bottle washer there now. Well, if he's not, he seems to be the head bottle washer. He thinks he's the head bottle you're, washer. You're going to cause a row now, so be, be careful. Listen, would you Frank, say a special hello for me to Nellie Kelly? Because I meet Nellie every time I play in Kill in County Waterford. And she's a pure dote and she loves you and her friend Marie loves you as well and they want to be to say a special hello to you on their behalf this morning, Johnny. So Nellie Nelly Kelly, it's a great name, isn't yeah. it? And Nelly Kelly, by God it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm like your man at the pint to pint years ago when he shouted, now every man loves his wife, and I love every man's wife. <laughs> he said, every time I get into the bed, she gets out. Roll up your hands. Remember him to pint to pint in years ago? I don't, but, uh, but I heard about him, yeah. Yeah, uh, Brent, and of course, uh, yeah, the, uh, there was a young fella in there last night with his mammy, Connor Ryan, in the Bridge House in Golden. Right. And uh, he was 18. And he was having his first pint, and the mother wanted him to witness it. <laughs> so uh, she wanted to witness it, and then she wanted me to witness it. So anyway, he had his first pint last night at 18 years of age. Right, and did he like it? I Jesus, fun, I say, with the way he licked his lips, he certainly <laughs> did. I say he'll be back again. But, uh, yes, friend, uh, yeah. the amount of people then that I met here and there, of course, uh, I'm just looking back there now, uh, that they thanked me there last weekend for mentioning Martin Shelley and Bell and Gabby mm. and Fiona and Tyke, Noel Martin and the doggy Kellyanne. They said even Kellyanne talked up when we mentioned his <laughs> name. But anyway, Frank, yeah, yeah next weekend, of course, so we welcome everybody to uh, Powerstone Park in Clonmelis, the Greyhound Festival there, and also to track every night that Clonmel Greyhound Stadium is on tonight and will be on maybe most nights next most nights of next week as well. Uh, we have the Greyhounds qualified for Power Stone, so uh, Bile Sports sponsored the Derby and the Huff and Jockey Duty Oaks and that. So they'll be, they'll expect maybe, I say, 15,000 uh, every day over the three days. So it could be a hive of activity. Anybody going to work early, go early because the, the town will be uh, looking forward to all the visitors, especially the hotels and the restaurants and the pubs and everybody else. And hopefully everything goes okay for Powerstone Park in Clamel starting next uh, Saturday, please God, Saturday, Sunday, and of course the bank holiday Monday three day meeting. So I'll be reporting from there and you need more. Very good indeed. So if people want to meet you, that's where they should be as well. Are you, are you concerned about patients on trolleys as well? Were you listening to it? 
Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, like when I hear people say, uh, uh, we talked about open borders and closed borders and that, I wouldn't make any comments on them. I know nothing at all about it. But I do know one thing from listening to the radio that we had 654 people on trolleys last Wednesday. Mm. To me, that is frightening. Yeah. To me, there's something wrong with the health system that uh, this is occurring. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, that, and I don't mind, from, let, us, let us take in as many people as we can in, in this country. But I would say take a break. Now it might be too late. We could have, uh, uh, we could have a lot of people uh, with no facilities here to offer anyone. And uh, yeah. it's very, very important. Well, every, that, uh, every year we have the same... The, the same conversation about the amount of people on trolleys. Uh, the, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but we're, we're certainly friend, not getting it under control. That's the, the thing about it. And the misfortune nurses and the people that work inside, the doctors and the attendants and the people that do the caretaking and all of that. Mm. Hey, I'm talk, I was talking to a few nurses. They're up to the pin of their collar mm. to try and keep the, the, the shows on the road. They're, they're bloody well worn out. Mm. But anyway, friend, yeah. uh, you have the, any count of an update on this community hotel in Rossgrave? No, no, no further detail, as they say, on it yet. Uh, yeah. I'd be surprised. I don't know. Look, listen, I'm, I met Jackie Chell last Sunday at the races, but mm. look, wasn't the time or place we spoke about the weather and the houses and all that. Wasn't the time or place. I'd say he's up to his ears listening to people giving out and everything else, myself included. <laughs> there was no point in I was just thinking, though, and... a community hotel in Kilfiekel there would be. All right, Johnny, well, look. That's the returning from uh, Mass, so it's you, yeah. So well, I hope I she's not a prayer okay, for us all. Friend, yes. Listen, friend, I just want to finish this. There's a letter, actually. You know who that comes in and solves the problems? What's yes, the, uh, yeah. the Phil, Phil Prendergast. Dear yeah. Phil, well, of course, I was going to say dear Frankie, but this is this, and it's on page whatever it is of the, of the Irish examiner. Yes. Hello, it's Rosaline here in a place called Belly Desmond. She says, well, fake the storms anyway. Didn't the wind knock over my recycling bin and scatter a batch of saucy little from my ex-boyfriend? He's a girl in bellyback slash macaduckery. I knew nothing until a billboard appeared on the road outside of Scarta Glen. Visit Belly Desmond, the home of the busty whipper. That's what she used to call me in fairness. Anyway, she went on then. She said, uh, uh, should I write, is there any point... In, in giving him a call, or is it a case of you should never go back? Uh, Rosaline in Belly Desmond, and your man, what's it Audrey replies, she says, I never call my exes, mainly because of Barry Russell. <laughs> so there you are. God. That, God, and oh that's my. dear Audrey. So uh, now between dear Audrey, and dear, dear Phil, and dear Phil <laughs> all the problems of the world are solved. Somebody said uh, the same man at the point to point in Cashel, he used to shout, Are you going home, Georgie? <laughs> does, that make, does that make any sense to you? No. Anyway, great to talk to you, Johnny. Hey, listen, are you playing in Cashel shortly? I'm playing in Cashel tonight, yeah. It's a special night there for my my late aunt, uh, Nellie Ryan, there, who used to run the gig in the hall there. So they're having a kind of a, a night of appreciation tonight. So, yeah, we'll be there from 9 o'clock. So you're welcome, Johnny. Hi, good friend. Thanks very much. And I helped that last night in the bridge house. It's amazing what you're here in the bridge. And <laughs> yeah. Johnny is calling the greyhound chasing friend. 
Good luck. Good luck, Johnny. Good luck. Good luck. Bye bye. Bye bye. The great Johnny Luby there. Fair play to Shawnee in the Bridge House as well. And yeah, that night is happening for all the dancing fraternity out there. Tonight at uh, Holland Fela in uh, Cashley. I think there's going to be nibbles and goodies and all sorts of shenanigans tonight. All right, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, uh, one of our listeners on uh, to us on uh, WhatsApp, yeah, I'm quite happy to make it clear again, but I thought I did uh, at the top of the hour when we played that uh, clip uh, from the petitions uh, committee that uh, Tipperary Sinn Féin um, Deputy Martin Brown, he read out that reply from the department in his position as committee chair, as is the norm in the petitions uh, committee. So this person goes on to say, I would hope the tip of him make it clear that he wasn't giving his own position in the tip play. Well, again, I thought I made that quite clear, but I'm quite happy to repeat it. That was Martin reading out the reply from the department there. All right. 83 Anybody with a dog that uses a shock collar might be surprised to hear that the collars could be banned. Now, it's something that is being looked at by the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell. But Senator Ronan uh, Mullen has some concerns about this, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Ronan. Good morning, Frank. And thank you very much for your time this morning. What are your concerns uh, about this? Well, look, I'm from a family background myself. I'm a dog owner, dog yeah. lover. Um, don't have any particular problem keeping my dog under control. He's a lovable coward. He's a collie. Um, but there is a problem uh, w- with dogs, as you know, uh, getting off leads. Sometimes people going for walks and letting dogs off leads or dogs escaping and savaging and worrying sheep. We're in the lambing season. You'll be seeing plenty of reports, no doubt, you've already had of the, the carnage sometimes mm. wreaked by, by dogs. Sure. And, you know, it isn't just when they kill them. It's sometimes it could be the friendly dogs, the sheep thinking it's all fun and terrorising and lambs being lost as a result and so on. So there's an issue here about the control of dogs generally. Now, the question really is, what is the best way to to, to, to train dogs uh, to keep them away from live, livestock? Um, there, there, the use of properly regulated collars, which to my mind aren't shock collars because the pulse that they use are very, very mild. Um, for example, if you take the perimeter fence that people use to keep their animals, you know, their mm-hmm. pets on, on, on the property... It's about five uh, millijoules, about 3,000 times less than the, than, than the shock of an electric fence. Um, and I'm not talking about using these um, to, you know, stop spots from going up on the sofa. I'm talking about people using them to train dogs in an appropriate way so that even if they haven't got the collar on, if they, they keep away from livestock. Um, now, in a number of countries, these collars have been banned. Some animal welfare people, and great respect for animal welfare people, I consider myself one of them, but some of them say, no, these things are never appropriate, and some countries have banned them. However, um, other people argue, and a lot of uh, responsible um, animal owners and associations argue that that's not the appropriate thing. You should be regulating them instead of banning them. So what we had was, a few weeks ago, uh, 
the government put up um, on the Department of Agriculture, Agriculture website in a way you'd hardly notice that there was a consultation on the, the, the proposal to ban what they described as electronic, electronic shock collars. They say, I don't call them shock collars because shock, I think, is a term that implies a level of cruelty that, that I don't believe the science shows is there. But anyway, it was almost as though it was a secret consultation and a very, very short, rushed period. So I raised the issue and um, I was, Minister McConnell, Minister for Agriculture, was in the Shannon, um two days ago and he gave a commitment to extend that consultation period uh, and I think it's now extended until the 16th of February. My argument is, you know, don't take it from me what the science shows. It, uh, from what I can see, the bulk of scientific evidence is that these are not cruel if properly used and that these are more effective than, you know, give the dog a biscuit and train him to keep away because dog instincts are basic and uh, the dog knows that there's sheep there and gets the scent of it long before the owner mm-hmm. does and dogs don't don't know that the owner, what it means that the owner is going to be getting a heavy fine, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, my, my, what I'm actually calling on the government to do is to make sure, first of all, that farming organisations, that animal welfare people, scientists that are heard on this so that we have an evidence-led approach to the two questions, do these, are these things bad for animal welfare or, in fact, do they protect dogs from being shot and animals from being savaged? And the second question is, are they the more effective way of training animals to, to, to avoid livestock? Um, I know that, whereas in some countries they've banned them. In Wales, for example, where they banned these e-collars 10 years ago, the statistics according to insurance people show there was three times as many, um, I think four times as many attacks on sheep and three times as many dogs being shot uh, compared with comparable areas in the UK uh, where there isn't a ban. So there seems to be some evidence to show that e-collars work. And but e- I am saying... Yeah, them is there any indication that the Minister would have consulted with sheep farmers, for example, where this is concerned? Not that I'm aware of. This this consultation is run by an advisory committee on uh, companion animal welfare. And uh, I, I'm, I, I don't know who exactly they're consulting with because... When they put up that little notification on the Department of Agriculture website, there was no guiding information or background briefing or anything like that to help any stakeholder or other interested party that would want to do it. Just an email to let your views be known. And that would suggest to me that, you know, there wasn't a great desire to keep people fully informed of what their thinking was. But certainly when when the minister came into the Shannon the other day, his language was very much in terms of tending towards a ban and talking about shock collars being cruel and so on and so forth. If they are cruel, by all means, ban them. But from what I can see, the scientists say, no, these are not cruel, that this is a very controlled, limited pulse that is used. And if, if, and if, once the training is done, the collar doesn't even have to be on the animal then because they will they will keep away from sheep. And the, the, the aversive effect, if you like, yes. it's, it's a Pavlovian response. Of course. So and, the, and, habit, and, the and, habit has been created, I suppose. Yeah, now they may have yes. to go back for a training at a later point. It would last for about a year and so on. But this isn't about, you know, lapping dogs in, in, in a cruel way, uh, as, as, as I understand it. But I'm saying to people, don't take it from me. Let's look, let's hear from the scientists. But what I'd be afraid of would be some kind of naive ideological rush, you know, because, you know, at first blush, we would all want to support anything that prevents animal cruelty. But if the consequence of a ban like this is, you know, more sheep being, you know, savage, frightened, lambs being lost, and more dogs being shot as a result, 
then I would have thought mm. that the balance of welfare would, would, would be in favour of the responsible and, use of the enterprise. Was this sort of thrown in there underneath some guidance notes on dog ear cropping, for example? Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you kind of had to really go looking for it on the Department of Agriculture website. Now, I gather it's a little bit more prominent now uh, since I raised the issue, but... Um, it, that's right. It was kind of kind of hidden in plain sight, you might say. Now, look, I don't want to be too conspiratorial about this or alleging, but it did seem like they didn't really want a wide consultation on this. And my concern would be that only those with one side of the story would have right. had their view, and then suddenly the consultation would be used to back up ministerial decision. Yeah, I... But there is a move, as I understand it, at European level to ban these countries like Germany have banned them. I don't deny that. Scotland hasn't banned them. A big pushback in England when it was proposed to ban these e collars, and 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 that maybe might have been what prompted the the softly softly approach to this consultation because there was a concern about backlash from farmers and from 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 dog owners. On the other hand, places like New Zealand, they actually the Department of Conservation there requires that dogs be trained using these e collars to keep them from from attacking kiwi. Would you believe? You know so. So that mm. there, there are definitely two sides of this story that need to be heard and an evidence-based approach. Take. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to put it out to some of our listeners and uh, see how they feel about this on 0833 If I could, Senator, before I let you go, uh, because it's something we brought up on the programme during the week, you've taken issue with the Medical Council removing the prohibition in its ethics guide on doctors deliberately killing uh, patients. Um, now, they're claiming that it's nothing to do with the possibility of a law on euthanasia coming in, but I think you might uh, think differently to that, do you? Yes, well, exactly. I, I, I did give a bit of a grilling now to the President of the Medical Council during the week. I'm, I'm on the Committee on Assisted Dying, yes. which is looking at the, you know, the, the rights and wrongs and the arguments for and against introducing euthanasia or assisted suicide. Euthanasia, obviously, be where it's done to the person by, by a medic or some other person assisted suicide where the, the person seeking to have their life ended takes the, the final step themselves. But um, yes, the medical council in its guidelines and in a way I think that has surprised a lot of doctors um, in its latest version of its guidelines took, took out this line which basically prohibits doctors from di- directly killing a patient. And um, the president of the medical council denied, as you said, that this had anything to do with any possibility that the law might change in this country. But to my mind, you know, it's a very, very strange thing that, you know, ethics 101, if you like, a basic principle of ethics that's been there for a long, long time, going to the Hippocratic Oath mm. and all that, that somehow that would be taken out. And it was taken out without any consultation on that point. With, with doctors. So it's very, very strange that this should happen. And I was putting it to the Medical Council that it really does look like you're trying to make it easy for whatever might happen. I, I kind of put it to her that, you know, haven't you washed your hands of the rights and wrongs of this issue? She denied that's the case, but I think there's still plenty of time for medical people, for doctors, to let their views be known to the Medical Council if they do think that this is really reflecting badly on the profession. That's such yeah. a basic... Now, I should give the the other arg- the argument, to be fair, since the Medical Council aren't on to defend themselves, they claim that it was just one thing that was taken out mm. in the context of taking out... Yeah, they said you know, edits other, and removals are, are, right, are pretty common when they revise their ethics. Yeah, they yeah. were suggesting that they took out other kind of you know, direct principles. 
but and but at the same time they were saying this is that we you know we, our focus is about helping people engage in principle based um medicine i would have thought that the first and most basic principle is do no harm you know and that's always been understood the other thing is that there's um you know, the impression I got from the Medical Council spokesperson, the president there was, kept going back to, oh, it's against the law in this country and any doctor who breaks the law will be in trouble anyway. But medical ethics isn't just a matter of whatever the law allows, you can do. The, the doctors always had a, had a kind of, an, there's, a, there's a question of whether something is ethical, even if it's lawful. And I'm not saying that if the law did change on this issue, then let the doctors consider, are we happy with this? You know, and it would be, no yeah. doubt in this country, they would fall in line with the law, but they shouldn't be kind of paving the way for it in such a blind fashion. This is a life and death issue, and it's a very fundamental yeah, and I, I was interested to read, I think your committee also heard from representatives from Australia and New Zealand, and their description of providing assisted deaths, they found it fulfilling and rewarding since its commencement last year. Yeah, I... And I found that very strange because I put it to them uh, that there was research uh, from Australia Australia that showed that about... Uh, first of all, it's a very small number of doctors and whoever have anything to do with this mm. procedure, you know? And most want to stay well away from it. And secondly, of those who do, and I don't have the statistic in front of me, but mm. I reported it to them and I put it to them that about half of doctors report, reported distress at this, that, and the other. And they... they they didn't dispute the the factual facts of what I was saying. They suggested that the person that did the report was was strongly on the on the record as being against euthanasia and assisted suicide. But everybody has their opinion. The question is 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 the research accurate and does it properly present the findings? So, I, I you know I find it rather strange to think mm. that people would be reporting career satisfaction. Having said that, how people feel about what they do isn't the test anyway of whether it's right or wrong, you know. I just thought the language around it was odd, mm. odd, to say the least. They also are making the point, of course, that um, it's only 1% or 1.5% of all anticipated deaths in Australia. Um, so that that's kind of, I suppose the point they're making there is the numbers are so small, but does that does that hold anything for you? Well, I think what you'd, the first thing I, you know, a lot is being made of Australia and New Zealand to kind of suggest, well, this is the more limited law that we could go for compared with, let's say, countries where it's, you know, more out of control, like Canada, the Netherlands, Belgium. The point is, it's only a few years since this law was brought in in Australia, 2017, I think, for the first time, even more recently in New Zealand. So it's really very early days in terms mm. of seeing what is the impact of the law. In other jurisdictions like the Netherlands, it's up to 5% of all deaths are through euthanasia assisted suicide. It's up to 7% in some provinces of Canada, where it's really a bit of a runaway train. So, you know, certainly there was an attempt at the committee to have, you know, for, there are people who want to change the law in this country and they're entitled to their views. Mm. But there has been an attempt to kind of sanitise or kind of say, well, we won't frighten the horses. You know, tell people that it's really only a very small number and they completely know what they're doing and, 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 and it's working well. But when people are up to their necks and doing something, they have, they have a vested interest in telling you that it's working well. I you suppose, know? but um, as you know, there's been heartbreaking stories and, you know, very human yeah. stories around this issue. And I suppose yes. it's, it's hard to divorce yourself from... From that, I suppose, Senator, when when you are discussing this, you know, so that's true. Yeah. And and but I I put great store in what the palliative care people in yeah. our country and elsewhere, and the, they are very very worried about. The, the, they think this will change the whole relationship between doctors and patients. They think that it will undermine, because you see, 
what comes across very strongly in this debate is, on the one hand, proponents of euthanasia, you know, paint the worst possible scenario sometimes of pain and suffering. And not every death is easy, as we all know. And there can be, and there is suffering in life. And and no matter whether you bring euthanasia in or not, there'll always be suffering that can't be avoided. But on the one hand, they will kind of give you the worst case scenario. Then they will admit that palliative care can really deal with pain and uh, symptoms of discomfort in the vast majority of cases. And of course, there is sedation in extreme situations. It comes down to really, it's, 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 it's a desire. It comes from two things, I think. A desire for absolute control, and, and that's understandable, but it has implications for other people, and, and fear. And the palliative care people say, you know, when you work through, take, for example, when a person has a, a cancer diagnosis, in the, in, the, in the immediate aftermath, there can be a very um, strong or a higher rate of suicidal ideation. But as fears get dealt with, as reassurance comes about discomfort and pain management, about the psychological and social aspects, attitudes can change very much for the better. If, on the other hand, as it's on the menu, to push it bluntly, it, it makes it harder for people to get that to that place of peace and acceptance and overcoming of fears. And the real danger is that people won't have access to that kind of reassurance, mm. but will be on a different track in their minds and come to really see that it's somehow expected of them not to be a burden on their family, on the state. And so on. Those it's, are the, it's, it's that changing attitude that results. So what some people might want, though, to have absolute control of their own lives, has implications for others who might suffer in the longer term. Yeah, it's a, a very emotive uh, discussion indeed, as you well know. Senator, we always appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on with me this Thank morning. You, Thank you, Frank. Good All morning to you. you. That's Senator Ronan Mullen speaking to us there. News and information is coming up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecone, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on, on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thank you, Paul, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, the text and WhatsApp. 083-311-3311 and of course you can email tip today at tipfm.com Noreen is in Cashel and she says good morning Fran will you tell Johnny that there's no worn out healthcare workers if you go into any of the staff car parks you won't see any old cars people are on trolleys because wards are closed no shortage of beds but shortage of proper management the HSE is a poisonous institution and it's rotten to the core nobody will speak out because too many have privileged positions and soft jobs the health service is crippled with libel cases and there's more effort being put into avoiding that than patient care and that's Noreen in Cashel. Uh, Maria was on to us and she said, good God, lads, is there no end to your anti-immigrants stuff? It's every single day with ye. Pure toxic ye are now. Seriously, like, says Maria to us. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, why not come on and talk to us, Maria, and give us your point of view. I know that both uh, Ali and Leanne have been trying to uh, make contact with you. And if you have an opposing view to what you hear, um, you're, you're extremely welcome, extremely welcome on the programme. But if open discussion and if acknowledging 
opposing views is a sin, well, then we're, we're guilty in some way, I suppose. The clip of Leo Varadkar reacting to independent Deputy Marion Harkin caused quite a stir this week, causing many listeners to get in touch with their views on the interaction. If you missed it, um, it happened in the Doyle this week. I'll, I'll just replay it for you. It's just a couple of minutes. Today, I just want to raise one issue with you. The national conversation, and it's a difficult one, but it's the national conversation around single men who are seeking asylum and the specific situation whereby some communities have said they will welcome and integrate families but not groups of single men. Now, the knee-jerk reaction is, this is unacceptable, it's racist, these are far-right tropes. But I'm asking for a little bit of reflection and to cast your mind back just two years ago when thousands of visceral statements from so many Irish women followed the horrific murder of Ashling Murphy. And I still remember some of the comments from Minister Anne Rabbit, who said in this house, she said, not all men, but all women grow up knowing they are not safe. Not all men, but all women, know the feeling that creeps up your back when you hear steps behind you and you have to check. And she told us, by simply existing, women's lives are at risk from men they know and men they do not know. So Taoiseach, we believed women two years ago when they made these statements about Irishmen. So I'm asking you, why do we not at least entertain those statements from women now when they say that the idea of 30, 40, 50, whatever, single asylum seekers arriving in their town or village, living three or four to a room, no family connections, nothing to do most of the time, why do we not take on those concerns as genuine? I, I, I have to say, I have to be honest with you, I, I, I am quite disappointed uh, in the question you asked. Uh, and I can see the faces of many people around this house um, who I think agree with me. I think the killing and the death of Ashing Murphy was one of those events that really touched the nation. Uh, I remember it so well. And I remember the outpouring of grief for that young woman uh, who was killed uh, in the way she was. Uh, and I remember the anniversary uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, and I really think to connect that to a debate about international protection of migration is really wrong. Really wrong. Um, uh, the evil person who killed poor Ashling Murphy uh, was an EU citizen, had been in the country for the best part of 10 years, working and paying taxes. That's how he acquired his rights to social welfare and other things. Uh, and sadly, he turned on that girl for whatever reason he did and killed her. But to connect that to international protection and refugees coming to this country, whether they're genuine or not, it's really wrong, Deputy. Like, really, Deputy, don't bring our country down into that spiral. Please don't. Please don't bring our country down into that spiral there from Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. Let's go to John now, who's been following this. Good morning to you, John. Uh, good morning, dear friend. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well indeed, John, and good to talk to you. You've you've heard that clip a couple of times, I, I know. Um, what, what, what are your feelings, John? Um, I actually thought it was quite shocking, to be honest, Leah Bradker's response to Marion Harkin. She basically put together, you know, thoughts that kind of a lot of people in this country have, a lot of women. Like, I have three young daughters, so I may not be a woman myself, but I can kind of understand where women would have fear and stuff like that. And then to have the, the Taoiseach of the country stand up and kind of say he's disappointed in the question. 
I, I just found that absolutely shocking, like, to be honest. Like, why was he disappointed? You know, she asked a very... I think he was disappointed. Question. I think the point he was making, he was disappointed with bringing Ashling's murder into the conversation. Um, I, I think that was his point. Does that mean anything to you, John? Does Can you understand that? Well, to be honest, Fran, we've seen numerous cases over the last, obviously, the shocking murder of Ashling. We had the case of the two the two men up in kind of Sligo who were brutally murdered in horrific conditions. We had the case this week of a lad who was described as from Balancholic who committed a horrendous rape of a of a of a girl and he was described as from Balancholic, like in the news, like everyone knew he wasn't from Balancholic. His name wasn't and then you read the case, he had an interpreter and he's one of these people that are kind of coming into the country and, you know, like, we have to have the conversation about it. We but have you, plenty you, you of our own... You know that the commissioner is coming out and saying that there's no correlation between, you know, asylum seekers in areas and any sort of increase in, in attacks or in, in, in uh, crime. <laughs> I, just... I, don't, I don't buy that at all, Fran. All you have to do is you have to listen to the news and you can hear the names of the people, where they're from. Like, there's another guy from the Congo there a couple of days ago doing kind of horrendous things to people. Like, there's case after case after case. And, like, obviously all of these people are not like that. But until we actually have some kind of proper screening of it, who's actually coming in, you have no idea. So, yeah. yeah. And, and you think that women's fear... I mean, I'm careful about saying this, John, but even if it's not fully justified, the fear is real. Do you, do you know, is is that the point you're making as well? Fran, the fear is real. Yeah. As a parent of three girls, the fear is real. Yeah. Would you tell me about uh, that, being a parent of three girls? And maybe could you indicate to us how they feel? Well, they're, they're kind of young enough yet. Like the oldest is only maybe in her teens. Yes. But yeah. I can see it around where I live, that there's huge gangs of... Because where I live, we have quite a lot of um, asylum IPS seekers... They're in kind of big industrial buildings and hotels. Like quite close to me, there would be, I would say, we probably two or three thousand of them. And like a lot of them, nothing to do. They're hanging around all day. They're walking around. You know, it's it's not ideal. Like I personally, as a parent, I wouldn't let my daughters walk up certain streets anymore. And like that's that's not good. Like I'll tell you. Like, I'll give you an example, Fran. Our local GA club is backs on to an industrial unit, kind of um, tower block, kind of, there's about yeah. three or four. So basically, overnight, there was loads of these IPS lads moved into this place right beside our GA ground. Like, our GA ground is, uh, like, there's, there's corners in it, there's spaces in it dark parts of it, especially this time of year when kids are kind of trained at night. Like, you'd be very conscious of anyone hanging around there. So, obviously, in a case like... Yeah, and is it fair to say, John, that, you know, because the, a lady was on to us earlier on accusing us there of anti-immigrant and sort of being toxic and so... Is it fair to say that if they were young males in large numbers from anywhere, even from another part of the city or whatever you'd still have concerns. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's not you, necessarily the fact that they are 
uh, IPAS uh, people? No, it, it's just, to be honest, if you have huge numbers of people, single men, if you had an army barracks, I hate to say it, it's like, you know, cause this kind of comes from my UK days. I used to live in the UK for a while. And if you had a kind of army barracks in a certain area, you'd always have kind of trouble, kind of young mm. Mm. lads which had testosterone and all that kind of thing. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, I would have a concern of, it doesn't matter who it is, but with, like these are basically people that have been put into office blocks, such like, and then beside GA pitch, for example, like it's not really what you what you'd expect to be seeing. And as a parent, yeah, I do have concerns about. It. And do you resent the fact that if we talk calmly, uh, with with no hate in our hearts about this, that we're branded sometimes as being, you know, I I actually think Fran is absolutely outrageous. The carry on of some of our elected representatives, Leo Varadkar. I pulled him up on his response to Marion Harkin the other day. Like, Marion Harkin has been around for, what, 20, 30 years for the European Parliament and kind of been a TD. Yeah. Been a very very smart, intelligent woman, yeah. yeah. Like, she's, there is no way you could call her anything except kind of an ordinary citizen of this country. Yeah, She's not a far-right ideologue or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And there was another case there. It was about six or eight months ago. It was in the Dáil again. And Carl Nolan stood up and she kind of raised a similar issue and she spoke very calmly in it. And the response, in particular from Dara O'Brien, was outrageous towards her. He shouted her down and everything. And I thought it was shocking. And I, the doll chamber is just an echo chamber at this stage. Except for a few independents. The Healy Rays, Matty McGrath, Marion Harkin, Carl Nolan... No one, no one wants to talk about the biggest issue in the whole country. And Fran, you were there, you were speaking to Maria, a girl who who was on to you mm. about, yeah, like people are getting a little bit of, of um, fed up with talking about this immigrant thing, but that's because it's not been actually talked about. Yeah, Like it's an echo chamber in the doll. Like Tip FM is very good. You've given out, you, you let the ordinary people speak and give their opinions. You've invited Maria on to give her opinions. Delighted to fine. Yes, yeah. And you have had other people, I think you had that, um, the guy from, I think, the Refugee Council last week. That's on. right. So like uh, lucky, yeah. Yeah, he came on. Yeah. And, but, but some of the discussions, I mean, I'm not particularly going carrying a banner for Matty McGrath, but I mean, I thought how he was treated. I think it was Monday night on the Katie Hannon show. I mean, he was set up. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? You know. That's, that seems to be the way. Like, you go on to all these kind of shows on either RT or Virgin TV, and they're trying to, you know, belittle people who have yeah. an opinion. I mean, they were sneering. And they were sneering. They were sneering. Yeah. Yeah. Like, tip, like, a tip man. Yeah. We all we all know what, what Matty is. Like, he's a tip man. He's always been a tip man. He speaks like a tip man. And he makes very, very good points. Mm. But, they just want to kind of belittle it. It's a bit like the Healy Rays. They're kind of belittled a bit, little bit as well. You see it the whole time. But, you know, as I say, like I, I think I read a statistic there. I'm not sure is it true or not, but they say there's six kind of IPS lads in D4. Six. And what, what, does, what does that indicate to you, John? <laughs> it's kind of a do as I say rather than as I do. Because if you look where they're spread, I think it was a report yesterday, 
a lot of these iPass places are put in the poorer parts of the country. And my my experience in Dublin would reflect that. They're put into kind of places that are whatever you want to call it, working class. They're not put in Balls Bridge. They're not put in the posher parts of town. They're just put into the the Finglases, the Clondalkins, the East Walls, all of these kind of places, Blanchardstown. Very few of them are actually placed in D4. And yet at the same time, the people probably on Katie Hannon, who were kind of given out about Matty, were probably from D4, D6, D8. All these people did nice, big NGO government jobs get paid a fortune to keep this kind of system going. And I thought, was there not a centre recently in, is it Balls Bridge? Did I hear about something in Balls Bridge? Was well, it, uh, I think it was mentioned all right, yeah. but I haven't actually heard of anything happen. Right. In which, of course, it, it was mentioned and Ivana Batchik and a lot of others were out delighted. Oh, yes, yes, we're delighted to see this opening up. But it hasn't actually opened. Right. And can I ask you, John, are you representative of, say, your circle of people, your circle of friends and stuff? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. Like, to be honest, like, I'm not a political person. Yeah. I've never been involved in politics or anything like this. But at present, you know, you talk with other parents, you talk with people you know. We all have kind of similar enough viewpoints. Obviously, you probably gravitate towards people with a, a similar enough viewpoint mm. anyway. But like we're just ordinary mm. people, mainly parents. We're involved with our local schools, involved our local GA clubs, soccer clubs, rugby, whatever. But we're involved in the community, and you know, it's not kind of far out views. And, and this kind of painting as people of um, of really having really far out views is is ridiculous. Like, I, I mean, we're not being properly represented at all. Like I was on to my local Sinn Féin TD there. I have two of them, but I was on to one of them because I kind of know them a little bit. And I just basically brought up with the huge money again being made. It was in the Daily Mail last Sunday. Mm. And the huge sums of money that are being made mm. by these landlords. 650 million, I think, in six months of last year were paid out for accommodation. was paid out for yeah. very service, I correct. Huge, huge money. Yeah. You just and that's how you tip the iceberg. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Because it's not just that you have social welfare, you have travel costs, you have medical cards, they're getting free food. Like I, I would actually hate to see the real sum. I'd say it's you're talking maybe three, between three and five billion a year has been spent on this. Just as a guess. You mentioned uh, that uh, altercation between um, uh, the Deputy Carol Nolan and Minister Dara o- O'Brien. Um, I just have a little minute. Can can I hang on to you for just a moment? Uh, with yeah. Okay, John, I just want to play yeah, that no for, for people who didn't hear it. Deputy Nolan has, yeah. has walked a very fine line here this afternoon. And what you're calling for effectively is a cap on immigration and a cap on asylum into this country. Let's be clear. I'm calling that out. That's what you're calling for. We will not support that. And we will not support a cap on Ukrainians coming in here who are fleeing a war that has been vested upon them through no fault of their own. And most parties, actually all parties that I know of, maybe with the exception of you and your colleagues, support that approach. And does it provide challenges for us? Of course it does. Do the Irish people realise that? Yes, of course they do. This is a welcoming country and we've known over our history as a people where we've had to seek safe harbour all across the world. 
and where we were treated very badly as well as citizens in some of those countries. We're not going to allow that happen here in Ireland. And our Housing for All plan is robust and will deliver the houses that we need. And in addition to that, in addition to that, the provision of longer-term accommodation and housing for Ukrainians is in addition to that. And indeed those who are seeking safe harbour safe harbour from the Middle East, from Africa and other places. Do you want to draw a distinction between who comes in here? Is that what you're asking to do? Because we won't, we won't go down that line. Yeah, that's the piece you referred to, John. I mean, just hearing it again there now, what, what, what are your thoughts? I like basically... Clara Bryan is just saying we have an open door policy, so like basically bring everyone in, housing for all. Like he's living the dream world. Like basically the country is under massive strain at present. Service wise, we've we, we've basically at present you kind of keep hearing, oh our country is fantastic. It's there's massive growth, all of this kind of thing. But I don't think that people feel that. Like massive growth, people are making loads of money in some of these centres. But the average Joe so is probably struggling more now than he was three or four years ago. Everything is going up, costs are up. You know, it's just you know. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one. I put it out to Marie again. We'd we'd love to talk to her if she if she would come on with us. John, it's great to talk to you and thank you. Thank you for your time yeah. this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Good morning Cheerio. to you. That's John, a temporary man living in uh, Dublin. Um we'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now we continue our conversation around privacy and social media from a letter of course that we got to our dear Phil Slot um, where a lady fell out with her best friend because she attended uh, her best friend's daughter's wedding and she put up uh, an image or some photographs indeed of uh, the bride and groom and this caused war between the two lifelong friends so much so that they've fallen out uh, completely and absolutely. Um, but just to broaden the conversation a bit, Merlin has an online 3D printing company where he creates film props, but he's seen firsthand the privacy and etiquette issues that can come along with uh, social media exposure, and he joins me now. Merlin, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, great to talk to you uh, today. Uh, to begin with, just tell me about what it is you do exactly. Uh, well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, but to, to explain what I do, I, I, I print replicas or I print uh, items and props from movies and games. Sorry, and games. And a lot of that is kind of try to try to help people say, I don't know, make gifts, or they want to. Some people might want to wear them for collections or bring them to events and everything. Uh, or some people might just want, you know, a specific thing 3D printed or made for them. And unfortunately, like while printers are universal, not everyone can get access to them. So I I like to try and provide the service for people. Very good. And I believe you provided at a reasonable enough cost because these kind of things can be extremely expensive. They, they can be incredibly expensive, yeah. And when I, when, I started, when I started doing what I was doing, I noticed how incredibly expensive 
uh, kind of mainland European and, 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 and American stores are. And it's kind of a reason why I started doing it was because I wanted to do things at a more reasonable price. And even I was trying to start getting some stuff together myself and it was looking very, very expensive. And I thought it might actually be easier to make the things myself. And then I realised, wait a minute, I can help other people with this issue, you know, and I can help other people get these things cheaper. It's very interesting indeed. Now, I would immediately think, somebody in your position, starting off a new business, that you'd be trying desperately to get your name out there, to get your image out there, to be taking part in shows like this, going on TV and the like. But you're very careful about your privacy. I, I am, and it, it definitely speaks to, to the issue of privacy that was discussed previously. I mean, I, I myself don't like to have my name or my face or anything on, on, on any sort of platform purely because I, I really like the privacy that I have and I like the idea that that my store can be run by anybody in the event that I, I can't. And, and it, it definitely speaks to how important privacy can be on social media nowadays because even, yeah, as a small business trying to get my name out there and trying to get, every, get, get everything out there to try help myself grow, I think the one thing I have to weigh against is my own personal privacy, you know. It's very interesting, but particularly in a world where corporate organisations like to have a well-known face, and I suppose I'm thinking of people like Richard Branson and Elon Musk and all of these, that they have these characters who are the face and the voice of an organisation, but you're succeeding opposing that almost. Um. I wouldn't necessarily say opposing. I'm still there in every in every bit of social media interaction that I do. I'm still there. I just I I I have started a thing in any of the social media stuff that I do where I wear a helmet or I wear something to cover my face, and it becomes a point where the focus goes onto the onto the helmet or it goes onto the the the, the item that I'm wearing or the item that I have on, and it shows that. You know, there's more to there's more to what's going on than just the person who's doing it. It's it's more it's more so about the the things that are being made. You know. Now, probably the irony is that you're well known now for appearing in all sorts of places wearing this mask. So, it's ironic that 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 character is is the associated face of your business now. Do you do, do you know what I'm saying to you, Merlin? Yeah, 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 and I I do love that then. Uh, it, it can be really funny because a lot of the time, and in the places where I've just been spotted or whatever, wearing any of my items, a lot of the time I'm trying to just go out and do something uh, for myself then trying to get photos or I'm trying to get uh, a showcase of what I've been doing. And it kind of turns into, it turns into, oh my God, this person is here and this person spotted here. And I always find that really funny, but uh, a lot of the time it's just kind of con- uh, consequential, you know? It's interesting, you're a, a young man. What what are you making of social media in general? Because obviously it's a very important tool for you in terms of expanding your business. But what do you think about the, the privacy issues, the etiquette issues, and that, that sense that our lives are open books now at this point? I think in, in, the, in the digital age that we find ourselves in now, there is very little privacy for anybody anymore. Because everything is uploaded online and everything is available to anyone at any moment's notice, the the idea of kind of things being private and things being, you know, public, or there there's not much of it anymore. Social media can be really difficult because you have to be very specific in what you do and you have to take a lot of things into consideration. So, case in point, with the wedding, 
you to take into consideration the wishes of, of the bride and the groom and the parents and everything. And the same thing happens in any social media context. There's a lot of considerations that need to go into it beforehand to make sure that what you're doing is okay and when that, you know, they'll be received fine and this isn't violating anything for anybody. That's very interesting. Do you think we all need to rethink our relationship with social media? I think we do and we don't. I think we all need to start taking a little bit more consideration into how what we do affects everyone around us. But as it stands, that's a difficult thing to try and change because of how public everything has become. And what about you then? So when you appear in places, my understanding is that you you wear your mask. I think it's an assumed name, so people don't know much about you, but that in itself would create lots of curiosity. So are, are people trying desperately to find out who Merlin is? Uh, some, some have asked. I, I'm delightfully cryptic when I, when I tell people because it, it's a little bit of fun sometimes. Uh, but but more often than not, I'm still happy to be appearing, say, wearing my mask, whatever the hell, uh, because underneath, still nobody knows who it is. So I can then turn around without it and, you know, do something completely different and no one yes. will have any idea. Yes. And that just kind of makes it more fun, you know? Yeah, I'm really intrigued. As somebody on to us to say Merlin is the daft punk of 3D printing world. Uh, that's making reference to a project you took on, I think, isn't it? It's it is it is a it is a project that I I took on in March and has since been something that's been rather popular. Uh, we'll be make making things that are like uh, the helmets and everything that Daft Punk wear, and it seems to have been an incredibly popular thing that has kind of taken off on on my store. It's very interesting. What what about the future? I mean, is it about expanding this business, uh, Merlin, or have you other ideas? I, I'm I'm taking it as it comes along. At, at the moment, I'm, I'm I'm quite small, and I'm happy with where I am. Of course, I'd love to make it bigger, and I'm trying to make it so that everything that I do is renewable, and everything that I do is using recycled, you know, recycled materials, and the energy is solar, and everything. And I'd love to be a bit bigger than I am, and it's a long-standing dream that I've had since I started. It was just to be to be bigger than I am, and to help people with their journeys of trying to make costumes or trying to get you know, things for collections and everything. And, of course, I'd love to be bigger, but I, I'm still very happy at the stage I'm at. It's, it's very interesting. Finally, can I put it to you? I, I presume you're aware of, you know, I mean, if, if you take me, of a certain age, mature age, shall we say, even the notion of 3D printing, I'm trying to get my head around that. Do you find that there's kind of a, a gap, a generation gap there when you try to explain to people what exactly you do? There can be, yeah. But I, I always try to find things that they might recognize. So say something from pop culture, and then I'll go, look, this can be made. Or sometimes, in, in even people who are my own age, and I'll be trying to explain what I do to them, sometimes what I have to do is physically show them the printer and show it making something and go, this is how it works, and this is what can be produced. And what a lot of people find to be very mystical about it, so to speak, is that you can get the role of raw materials that comes with it and then suddenly it can become, say, the mask that I wear or any of the any of the things that I make. And a lot of people find that very curious and explaining to them can definitely be hard, especially when it can be more mature, uh, mature people that I'm trying to explain it to. But, but eventually everybody gets there in the end. Is that right? But, I mean, some of the images I'm looking at here, I mean, this is very artistic. 
it, it is, it is. And I, I definitely, I, I definitely pour my heart and soul into it anyways, mm. uh, especially with the things that I, I make myself. So case in point, my armor and my, my, my helmets and everything, the ones I make myself, I, I absolutely pour every ounce of creativity I have into it. And I always hope that when I'm making things for other people, that they do the same and the things become very personal to them. And yeah. that's definitely the lo- lo- goal. Yeah, because I'm looking at some of the Star Wars uh, images here and they're absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it's completely at odds with the discussion that we're having, but if people want to see your work, can, can they do that online, Merlin? Oh, yeah, I've got multiple social medias. You'll just never see my face or anything on it yes. because I love the idea of just being cryptic. Uh, but, but no, you can definitely see everything that I'm making, everything that I'm working on, everything that I'm trying to get out to people or just projects that I'm in general uh, trying trying to get started on on my various social medias and everything, so like Instagram and TikTok and Etsy right. and all that. On, under what? Under what can we have a look? Uh, I'd be down under Merlin's Prop Forge. Merlin's Prop and everything. Merlin's Prop Forge. Board. Okay. Very good indeed. If people want to have a look at that, most interesting to talk to you, Merlin, and we wish you the very best. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is prop maker Merlin. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now we were hearing this week about the positives of a vegan diet, although not everybody was sold on it. We spoke to Liam who said that uh, for anybody who suffers from celiac uh, disease, it's getting harder and harder to find gluten-free food in shops. Now it prompted a big response indeed from listeners and Brian was in contact and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Um, are you celiac, Brian? I am indeed, unfortunately. Right. So tell me then about, it. I mean, is it more difficult to get gluten-free food at the moment? Almost impossible. Is it indeed? You you go into any shop, Lidl's anywhere like that, and you go down and you find a gluten-free section, it is literally only a small, tiny little bit of a shelf. And was it more readily available in the past? I don't know, but I you know I was out in, in Spain there a couple of years ago in an ordinary supermarket like Tesco's or whatever, and 99% of the stuff on the shelves was saying gluten-free, gluten-free. It was literally, literally the opposite way around over there. This ordinary food was very minuscule. So was there something about here then that we're not taking this seriously, Brian? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but yeah. it's impossible. Like, even... I do a lot of driving for a living, and even just to go into a deli anywhere like that, I can't go in there. Get something by tea if I was hungry. When? I cannot go near a deli, I cannot go near a chip or anything like that. When did you realise you were celiac? I had a sister who died of complications from celiac, oh and goodness. we got tested and found out that we, we, I was positive as well for celiac. And had you issues uh, that were... No. No. I had no symptoms whatsoever. Right. And so why did you go on? I mean, if it wasn't bothering you then from a health point of view, why did you choose to go down the road of gluten-free? Well, because it was half my sister. Right. 
Well, I asked him because I'm celiac anyhow, but I mean, I asked him for health reasons. Oh, right. No, I was just wondering if you had no symptoms and and the like. So you, you have very little options if you're out there driving then, I guess. If I'm driving, either I bring a pack lunch with me or I'll go hungry. My God. And somebody made the point to me as well that they felt that the gluten-free uh, food was replaced by vegan options. Is there anything in that? That I don't know. Yeah. Like even was said to make a sandwich at home with gluten-free bread. Mm. You might have eaten cardboard. There is no taste whatsoever. It's actually foul. A lot of the breads are actually foul to even eat. So I give up eating, eating breads of any description now. My God. And uh, I believe that gluten-free food is very expensive as well, is it? It is expensive. The, the only thing about it is if you're registered for that, that's only if you're registered. You can claim back that. It's the only food you can claim that back on. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. yeah. But it is actually the only food you can claim it back on. Right. What happens if you um, eat food that is incorrect for you? What What happens then? I mean, do you, do, would, I get would you know it? I get severe in my stomach would the whole you, yeah. lot and feel nausea the whole lot, yes. Yeah. So even, the, even an ice cream. Go to a co- shop to get a cone. Oh, God, are you serious? Yeah. God almighty. Could affect me. You know, I'd even, like, legally speaking, you go into a shop, you say you have the bread rack in a shop. Mm-hmm. You cannot have ordinary bread and gluten-free bread on the one shelf. Because it'll contaminate each other. Cross-contamination, yeah. Wow. And again, I didn't... Even even to go to a restaurant, it's very dodgy because the foods are all probably cooked in the one cooker as well, so you still have cross-contamination again. So the smallest amount then is going to affect you in some way? It varies person to person. Some people are more susceptible to it than others. I'm not too bad in that sense. Yes. But I do get pains in the stomach and all of that. And th- that's what I kind of asked you before. I mean, did you always have stomach issues? And uh... No. No. Never had an issue at all. I could eat all around me two or three dinners a day and things like that bother me. Right. In the last couple of years. Probably because I'm getting older as well, maybe, too. There might be helping it either. Like, but... Maybe so. And, and your poor sister, no. she died with complications. Yeah. She My didn't God. know she was celiac until it was too late. My God. She was getting cramps in the stomach and they're putting it down to her irritable syndrome and all of yeah, that. Like. Yeah. And that's, that's Which the has similar symptoms yeah. to, to yeah. the celiac. Like. Yeah, and I think, I, from what I hear, that's one of the issues is that the symptoms can be attributed to all sorts of other illnesses as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So do, do you ever complain to the people in these places, uh, Brian, and say, you know... You do, but you just look at you as if you're two heads. Do they? Yeah. You go to a restaurant or even a deli or whatever and says anything you have gluten free and just look at you and say, you have two heads and they just look at you and say, no. You have to walk out the door hungry again. Yeah, do you know, there's a bit of a perception out there that people who, you know, announce themselves as being gluten free are kind of finicky and kind of looking for a label and stuff. There's probably, like in every walk of life, there's probably a few that do that. But yeah. Majority of us say the people that genuinely suffer actually genuinely suffer. Of course, I can't. Like in my case now, like I said, I, I drive for a living. I mm. can't just pull up in a, in a restaurant anywhere inside of the road, win. It's no matter what the restaurant is like. I just can't walk in and sit down and say, give me a dinner or whatever. Like, I can't Even imagine what like it was. Like a, a steak or whatever, because steak is probably cooked on the same grill as other cross-contaminated foods. Like, Yeah, you see, we, yeah, we don't realise this unless that 
you know, we talk to somebody like you and hear from somebody like you. It's it's. But if I thought I couldn't have an ice cream or a bar of chocolate or something, I, I mean, it must limit the other enjoyment. I could have just straight chocolate on its own. Yeah. Say like a twirl or something like that, but I wouldn't have a sweet snack. So even that, you have, and can you take a drink, for example? Only top shelf. I can't touch beer. So what, a whiskey or a vodka or something? Is that yeah, it? Whiskey or brandy or whatever it gets to be, like, yeah. Can't touch a beer because there's, there's um, gluten in the beer. I can't. And and again, the response we've gotten for it, this is a big issue and it, it affects an awful lot of people out there. And again, I had no notion. It is, I like, mean, even it's in my own house now, we have two fridges, two of everything, two frying pans, all that, so there's no cost on lamination. My God. That's. Uh, no, like, even a simple thing like that, you know what I mean? People don't realise it, like. <clears throat> Well, I certainly didn't realise that, but it's a, it's a, it's an insight into it. Brian, it was good to talk to you, and we wish you well with the health, and thanks thanks for yeah, for giving us that uh, insight there. Thanks very much indeed. That's Brian. Uh, Thomas was on, and he says, Fran, would uh, Ronan, uh, that's making reference to Senator Ronan uh, Mullen, who spoke to me earlier on, uh, would he leave a loved one linger in pain for a long time if they were dying? or on a life support mas- uh, machine. I would not leave a loved one who may need this if they were in pain. And again, that's making reference to the conversation around assisted dying and the like. I suppose what he was saying earlier on is about palliative care and, you know, looking after pain relief and all of that. But it, Thomas, I agree with you completely. It's a very, very emotive uh, topic. And I would imagine it's one we'll be discussing in this country uh, at great length over the coming uh, months and years. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Uh, thanks very much, Nick Donald. Welcome back to the final hour of the programme. And it is time for our Friday panel. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by people who need no introduction at all at this point. Uh, Paula Carney Hoffler is with us, Liam Brown and Noel Buckley. And you're all extremely welcome. And thanks for coming in to us uh, today. Can we begin with the death of Ian Bailey this week at the age of 66? Sort of a new focus, I suppose on the Sophie uh, Toscan de Plantier uh, murder, although he was never convicted here of the murder. He was found guilty in a French uh, ruling. People remain kind of divided, I suppose, on whether or not he was guilty. But will his death bring closure or will it forever be uh, unknown? Uh, Paula, can I start with you uh, on this? Because is that something you've followed? Have you followed that case? I did over the years. I, you know, it would come up in the news and you kind of go, oh God, like, mm-hmm. do I think he did it? I don't know. Yeah. You know, for me, it's always give show me the evidence, give me give me the detail of it and stuff like that. But I don't think it's going to go away, even with his death. Like there will always be the conversation around it. And I know the guards are working on the, mm. the investigation. They're using new DNA profiling. Mm. They've had additional witness interviews and stuff like that that they're looking at. Mm. So I think there will hopefully be some resolution into it. But I don't ever think that the the death of someone when they're a suspect in a crime is going to 
end it for the family who was subjected to it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? So I don't think Sophie's family is ever going to get any closure, regardless if the guards even find out who, re- who did it, whether it was Ian Bailey or not. There's never going to be closure. Yeah, and as a woman, I mean, when you look to what happened, I mean, he, he was, I, I met him a few times and I interviewed him a few times and all yeah. of that. He was a strange character. He had a bit of charisma about him. And uh, But one of the things that I found very difficult to understand, Paul, and I'd love your view on this, I met him one time at the High Court in Dublin. He had just finished one of his various uh, uh, presentations there and we went to a pub to record an interview. The amount of people that stopped him on the street to shake his hand and women stopping him on the street to shake his hand as well. What would you make of that? That's actually a psychological condition. Um, so women, some women are attracted to men who are in you know, profile. You'll see with women sending love letters to serial killers in yeah. prison. So it is, it is something. I think it's just his per se. He was very charismatic. Yeah. And the thing is, I always... I'm always concerned around that level of charisma because mm. there's an underlining cause yes, and yeah. that's usually somebody who has psychopathic tendencies are usually quite charismatic. Um, yeah, it, it is a strange phenomenon that mm-hmm. people who are, you know, you know, yeah, in the limelight because for Because while he for was ever convicted of, of, of the murder, he, he, it's, it's well, it was out there in the public about how abusive yeah. he was to Jules, his partner. And, and, Absolutely, you know. but some women are attracted to that. Some men are attracted to that. It's that level of power. They see them as a strong person. They see them that level of power. And it is, it is the, the charisma comes into a form of manipulation. We see it in, you know, women who live mm. in abuse, abusive situations. Mm. Situations for yeah. years, but that's how controlling they are. That's how manipulative people like that are. Now, I'm not saying he did it. I'm not saying he didn't. Mm. He could have. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He has behavioural traits that would, and some evidence I believe is there now that could maybe prove it. Witness statements. But you know, people mm. are like that. Mm. No, is it a story you followed over the years? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you couldn't but uh, yeah. follow it. And uh, I suppose the real botch up happened at the murder scene itself where yeah. he was allowed to contaminate the scene yeah. uh, and I would be with Paul on it uh, you know it is thankfully it is going to remain as a cold case and thankfully now with modern DNA and a whole lot of other scientific um, skill sets that a forensic team have that they didn't have back 20-30 years ago it may be possible to reach um, a, a conclusion mm. on and it. Is that important do you think to have a conclusion to have it. Well, from the point of view of the family, number one, yeah. uh, they want a conclusion on it, uh, certainly. And secondly, from the point of view of sending a signal out to uh, other potential people who may be thinking of crimes like that, you know, that, you know, mm. there's no date by which you can't be got. Plus, um, the more modern for forensic evidence makes it more possible to mm. catch people. But, I mean, look at look at the scenario we have in this country of the number of women who have disappeared, never been accounted for. Um over the years, yeah. Jolly Dollar, to yeah. hold to name but which is, one. Is, is frightening. Which is, from a female perspective, on, on your streetscape and country roads, it's frightening to think that there are predators mm. uh, who are willing to do it. And I suppose maybe we're looking in this country compared to other countries where you see people have disappeared for years, maybe been found years later and held captive and so oh on. Oh my God, it's unthinkable. Yeah. And the character himself, what, what did you make 
of the character of Bailey? What well, of course, I didn't. I didn't know him, but uh, one thing that struck me, he liked the, the limelight. Yes, uh, yeah. that was that was the first thing. He was happy to gravitate towards the limelight. He didn't shy away from it. Yeah, and 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 so on. And. Um, I, I had the experience myself of being in, I used to take my transition years to the four courts um, as part of their transition year experience and t- teaching law and so on. And uh, I had the experience one day of having them at, at um, a, a case that was being tried, it was the, called the Chicken Hunt Murder. And there was this nice young fella sitting on the dock and at the stage we were in the court, um, the forensic guys were going through why they were able to say, that is the guy that did it, here is the evidence. And the medical team were describing the cruel death this woman met. And we were walking back to the bus down along the quay anyway, and to link in with Paula, what she previously said, they were all talking about what a good-looking fellow he was. Wow. Despite the fact they had heard the horrific murder this girl, or uh, death this girl had experienced by this guy. So it just shows... What, what, what do you read into that? Well, I'd agree charisma, with... Charisma, is it? It's charisma, and, and uh, they attract, I mean, you know, like we, we see it in terms of domestic abuse as well. I mean, the logical part of the brain would say you need to walk away from it. It might have been harder in 20, 30 years ago in Ireland, but now at least there's laws there to enable you to walk away. But very often the victim keeps returning. Mm. You know, yeah, there's often financial issues there. Yeah, and, there is. You know, yeah, uh, so there's a whole psychological yeah. profiling it's and interesting. so on. Interesting, Liam. Yeah. What what did you make of Bailey? First of all, well, what did you make of him? Before I mention Ian Bailey, I suppose the one thing I, I just listened for a second. We haven't fully mentioned her name, but we should be remembering Sophie Tuscan de Plante. Yeah, well, yeah. I, did, I, did, I, did, I know that's the same, but yeah. in reality, that, that's the first thing we should be remembering: the, the, the fact that she's the real victim in this. Um, she and lost, her family. Yeah, she lost her life violently and we still don't know who did it. Um, we think we know. A lot of people have made their mind up. But if we want to talk about Ian Bailey, the reality is, is not only was he not convicted, he was never brought to court. Mm. I mean, the director of public prosecutions never had enough physical evidence mm. that they felt that they would be able to secure a conviction. So that case never made it to court in Ireland. Um, we then found out when he took some libel cases against newspapers who claimed that he was a murderer that some of the witnesses who were originally after given statements had told lies or claimed they'd told lies in, in the libel trial. So that kind of threw the whole thing up in the air. I think at this stage most people have made their minds up one way or the other. Mm. Um, the first question you asked was, did, did we know the case? I don't think there's a person who doesn't know the case or <laughs> yeah. mm. who hasn't thought about the case or who has tried and, the and case I agree, in their own head. But there are head. people who are obsessed with oh, absolutely. this case. Oh, yeah. I mean, who can tell you uh, all the minutia. Absolutely. And yeah. I know people like that. Yeah. Um, that's a phenomenon. That's why we sell True Detective magazines yeah. and yeah. have been sold for years. And that's why so many um, television programmes and films are... They're almost true detective type films where they're asking the viewer to come in and help the police yeah. to, to piece solve out the them. case and solve the case with them. That's why CSI is is such a big problem. Criminal Minds, I used to love it myself. Mm. And you'd ask them, you'd be trying to solve the program as it was going on yourself and happy if you could and happy if you could see. But obviously in real life, there's a dead mm. person or dead people. Um, what, what do you make of the fact that the guardie at the time and subsequently, as well, were made to look like the Keystone Cops, like you know, in, in terms of how they dealt with that in a very rural area. Well, as you the said, country. they were made to look like the Keystone Cops, they made themselves look like Keystone Cops, mm. Yeah. Mm. you know. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's the job of the Gardaí to um, to investigate a crime. And as Noel said, there, the very first thing they did was they allowed Secure somebody the scene, outside yeah. to come into the scene, mm. which immediately contaminated the scene. Uh, I believe mm. that some of the evidence has gone missing. 
So even if they try to... A gate. A gate, yeah. yeah. That's gone missing, which may have DNA evidence. I'll be absolutely honest here. I don't think there's going to be much more um, investigation in this case. Do you not think I so? I don't think so, no. I think they, uh, there was a couple of things I read recently there, but uh, a witness came forward from the time he didn't disclose information at the time, and it was to do with injuries to Ian Bailey's left hand. Mm. And it was very badly scarred and cut. Mm. And uh, it was actually a neighbour at the time. Mm. You met him in the pub or something and said, what happened to your hand? And, and he said, yeah. oh, I was doing something with turkeys. turkeys. I was killing turkeys it's like the day before Christmas. <laughs> it is, but, but the reality now is, is if anybody comes forward now offering new evidence, the reality is, is one, the person who they're offering it against is not there to defend themselves, yeah. can't defend themselves. Mm. So how can you continue But you on? Look, look at the whole week of uh, speculation and something that would not have happened. And, and, could not have and happened every single person that's... Because you can't defend yeah, the dead. Every single person that's listening to us right now talking talk about the case probably has their mind made up and I doubt it's going to be able to be changed by anything said or unsaid at this point. So I think that there will be every now and again there'll be a kind of a cold case call but the reality yeah. is, is there'll be very little police time given to this case. I think they think they've got their man by natural causes, which is wrong because it doesn't give closure to the family. I don't think that family will ever fully have closure. Mm. No, even though nobody, the family have made up their mind completely. Ab- that, absolutely. That they've, yeah, and, they, you know, they, they've decided that they've never got complete justice. But at this mm. stage, we're going to be watching mm. documentaries about Ian Bailey for the next 10 years. Course, and we're going yeah. to be reading books Do, does a lot about Ireland in terms of how that was dealt with. And I mean, some people are concerned about, you know, the optics of how it was dealt with here. Or, or do you think that matters? I think in, in Sophie's case, it, you know what I mean? It looked, in relation to how the case was handled, it didn't look good for the guards. But however, you know, I've seen other cases such as, you know, the, mm. the Rachel O'Reilly case, um, you know, which was, which was handled. Oh, my mm. my God, do they, yeah. they, they were mm. going after their man. Do you know what I mean? I would have been very close to the case because Rachel was my friend. Mm. But I think for the Ian Bailey, it was, it was probably some very loose or shabby investigation at the start. Like they didn't take photographs of the mm. injuries to his hands, stuff like, you know, stuff. Maybe they didn't have the training. Maybe mm. they weren't resourced. Mm. I think that is a failure. Um, you know what I mean? at that stage but I think you know with looking at the cold cases now hopefully with the likes of the DNA forensic information mm. that they have available to them and the systems they have available there might be a little bit of a move forward they we can, they can come back and mm. kind of yes. and see where it is and rule Ian in or, or say he did do it do right. you know what I mean but, but it's not dead with Ian Bailey as I don't it. think it's yeah. it's gone with him you know he died a penniless man mm. defending yes. himself yes. do you know what I mean mm. But again, you know, with, I mean, that with, can be a trait. With nobody at his cremation. Nobody, nobody, sun. nobody yeah. at all. In fact, only yeah. the undertaker and the. Well, well, this is this is the thing. You see, if if he was innocent, it's his whole life was ruined by it as mm. well. Now, if you want to ask me, I probably think sixty forty. He probably wasn't. Mm. But the reality is, is we don't know. And I mean, we, we we're prosecuting something that we're never going to find out the true answer to. Mm. Is there any point in continuing? He, he was a complex fellow, though, Noel, because I put it to him about, you know, you know, if he if he could redo his life or whatever, would he mm. still come to Ireland? But he was very naive about Ireland. I mean, he wanted to speak the Irish language. He mm. wanted to play the Bowron. He, yeah. he saw this thing of West Cork, you know. As this oh, yeah, the, the whole culture down yeah. there was attractive yeah. to him. I'm sure West Cork attracts a great... It, it does, the artistic types. The artistic types. So yeah. I suppose that was the lure of West Cork uh, to him. Yeah. But sure, he ended up having to spend his time here. He knew if he'd... Uh, moved out of the jurisdiction, he was facing a, an arrest. Yeah, well, sure that's so the I suppose there is that as yeah. well. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with our panel in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage... Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to our Friday panel. Noel Buckley is with us, Paula Carney, Hoffler and uh, Liam Brown as well. Lot, lots of people on to us about various different things on the programme this morning and various different items that we had. And I promise you, we will get back to you and we will get back to uh, those various topics on Monday as well. We promise you that. Now, Minister Roderick O'Gorman, he announced this week that uh, communities hosting large numbers of refugees can avail of grants of up to half a million euro, but will it be enough to appease communities like, I suppose, Ross Gray, who continue to um, maintain their vigil at uh, Racket Hall? Um, uh, can I start with you on this, Liam? Is that is that going to appease people? Will that make it more palatable that people no. are... No. No, I don't think it'll appease people, and I don't think it's a good idea. Um, we are talking about... For example, you're talking about temporary protection, which would suggest that people who are in the country are only going to be in the country for a finite uh, period of time, two years, maybe three years. But you're now going to decide on what communities get local services, which may be needed for a much longer period, based on whether or not they have temporary protection uh, uh, seekers within their community. Now, it's already happening in some stages. I know this for a fact because I know some of the community grant schemes over the past year and two years they're literally telling people as they fill in the form the preference will be given to yes. uh, schemes which will provide services yeah. for... Well, I, I know of clubs who have benefited. That's what I'm saying. Clubs, yeah. clubs directly will benefit. And But what happens to clubs who, for one reason or another, do not have temporary, uh, temporary refugees in an area? They're losing out on potentially um, grants, mm. money that so they're entitled to. So not a good idea? So then? it's not a good idea. And, I mean, that's coming from the sort of idea which Jackie Kell came up with about building a community hotel which was one of the most nonsensical things I've ever heard in my life from any elected but representative. But the people protesting, Noel, are saying, look, we want investment, we want services. We want services. Yes, but the services should be given out to every single area based on their need, on their need, not on whether or not they're going to take in refugees in the future. I mean, Michael, I, I listened to Michael Smith talking about here, saying Ross Gray needs a family resource centre. You know, and if we can get money from the government for a family resource centre, if we take in 160 asylum seekers, he thought that was a good idea. That's a terrible idea. Because if you need a family resource centre, you need a family resource centre. Not we need it if we do this. You can't have a quid quo pro. And you can't start... What you're going to do then is you're going to start trading communities off against each other and trading communities off against them. If mm. we take in 100, we're going to get mm. this money. Is his heart in the right place, though? No, I think... No, even if it was, it's a stupid idea. Okay. Because you you shouldn't be you should not be spending taxpayers' money. You should not be putting services into a community or not putting them into a community based on whether your heart's in the right place. You should be putting them in on based on whether they're needed long term. I think you were nodding your head. Paula. I agree totally. Yeah. Like I think it's one. It's a it's a it's a payoff. Oh, you're taking in. You know, IPAs. You know, it's a payoff. That's what I think it is. It's like, get on with you here. We're giving you this amount of money. It's, I go back to what I say every time when we discuss this. The government needs to be proactive, not reactive. They need to have investment in that goes to communities that they require the investment. So if you need a community hall, you need a community. If you need another doctor, another surgery put into your town, you get that. It's based on not need, not based on if you're taking people in or refugees in. Mm. 
it's and like I look at and again I go back to I look at you know they're talking about looking at you know providing funds into derelict uh, the you know the buildings that are derelict and mm-hmm. stuff like this. This should have been done years ago. Mm-hmm. You know we wouldn't be in this position if and, the government had had a process. Is that playing into people's anger then and their well, frustration? Well, kind of, I think it probably so, is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be. You know, it, it's you know, oh, this is oh, you know, we're giving this money for this. Pro. It can't. Mm. It can't. It has to be fair across the board. Like I, I know every community in Tipperary probably needs some sort of resource. Mm. They're looking for funding. Do you know? They should be given it, but not based on oh, you're taking in more refugees mm. than them, so you get it. That mm. is terrible. Noel, what, what about your take on this? I'm being careful because I, I was told I was toxic this morning, so I'm going to stay oh. as quiet as I can in this, <laughs> in this particular... What, what, are you, what are you making of this? Well, I think there's, there's two separate issues, even the two previous speakers um, identified one of them. One of them is that rural towns and villages have needs separate out the migration issue even if the migration issue never existed towns, rural towns and villages have become dilapidated and services robbed out of them so to speak and the government hasn't been proactive now thankfully it's beginning to get its act together on it so that's a separate issue and needs to be addressed as an issue, a standalone yes. issue in itself. And Liam is right, it shouldn't be a bargain ship taking a few refugees and you, you kind of have a fast track to the cash machine. Um, the second thing is the migration issue itself. Um, Michael Lowry, I heard him in commenting in Ross Gray, and he made one interesting comment, which I, I think is that the government hasn't strategically planned Along, okay, the Ukraine war came on as uh, rather unexpected. It didn't come unexpectedly, but suddenly it was happening. Everybody knew it was going to happen. The question was when, and in the issue of refugees, and everybody's heart was open to it. But we've known migration is going to be a problem, and 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 it's going to be a growing one, and it's not going to go away. There's no point in people saying shut the borders, um, and migration problem will be solved. And I have a worry been the history teacher of the 1930s where you had mass unemployment in yes. Europe uh, huge problems and suddenly Jews were the cause of all the problems mm-hmm. they were the scapegoats so we're right now in Ireland looking for a scapegoat for problems that we have never adequately addressed or dealt with urban dereliction, and the housing are, are the people coming are, in here are, are, are the migrants like even the idea, there is a community hotel, a very successful one up in Monaghan, but yes. you need a community behind that. And we haven't seen investment in terms of community development. Like Ireland has changed a lot in the last 20 years and I'm involved with a number of voluntary groups and they will all tell you their biggest challenge now is to get the next generation of volunteers. Like when this generation of volunteers go, you'd wonder mm. who's going to carry the can. Because I, I know several communities now, they're uh, voluntary groups, they're in their 70s, still doing fantastic work. But they're saying, who's going to carry it on? The, the next generation. generation the, yeah. And, and, and Roderick O'Gorman, where this is concerned then, is this, is this incorrect? I mean, as Liam says, is this just a bad, stupid idea? Well, I think a couple of things. You will have the far-right element who will use the discontent to community, see this as a gateway to get their viewpoint across, and I've no doubt a lot of it has been funded from, from, from American places as well and supported. Um, that's one element. But is it a good idea to provide funding 
Um, ba- based on? Based on uh, how many um, migrants. Yeah, yeah I, well, I suppose if, if those migrants are generating an issue in the community in terms of the lack of facilities, take a thing like education, which I was involved in myself. A school has to be provided with resources to address them. Now, I mean, I, I was talking to a person here in, in, in Clanmel this week who um, gave over his house. He's fortunate, he said, to have a second house, gave over his house to Ukrainian refugees. And he said, they're all working, mm-hmm. every one of them. And he was talking to one of their employers. They're absolutely delighted with a much better work ethic than some of the Irish, as, as he said. So we have a labour shortage in this country. Instead of looking at it as a problem, how can we get these into the labour market? How can we provide training and equipping them and skilling them uh, to get quick access into the market? We have a shortage of builders in this country and a shortage of people working in the construction industry. I mean, that's another way of looking at it. Yeah. Instead of saying, these are a problem, we, they need to be what, got rid what, of. What about that uh, then? Uh, and, and particularly what, what Norm was saying, it's a fait complete that we are going to continue to have numbers coming in You here, see, that's, that's where I see the problem, Fran. And like I spoke here with you over a year and a half ago when we were talking about this, about the hotel industry. I, I always remember, and I've, I've kept it since, to say that there was going to be a problem coming down the line in the hotel industry, in the tourism industry. With staffing? If we, but no, if we continued oh, to take sorry. up the amount yes. of rooms mm, to put them. Yeah. And, and we've now seen that come, yeah. come to pass. Now, I don't think for a second, as Noel said, we opened our hearts and we opened our doors to Ukrainian refugees. I think some people genuinely thought this would be two or three months yeah. and it would be all over. Now, the reality is, is even if the Ukrainian war finished in the morning, it's destroyed. Kherson, Donetsk, they're destroyed. So people are not going to go, be going, able to go home for five to ten years while we re- rebuild it. So we now are saying that if we put someone into a hotel tomorrow morning, in Racket Hall in Ross Grey, the likelihood is those people are going to be still in that hotel for the next ten years. We're not thinking about that. We're talking about one-year contracts. This is a one-year contract. Where are people going to go in a year's time when that place is still destroyed? Well, Roderick O'Gorman as well said during the week that it was our obligation to rebuild. Yes, it, that's what I'm saying. But even before, uh, sorry, rebuild Ukraine. Even, be, Ukraine, even before yes. we get to rebuild Ukraine. So what I'm saying is, is we're, now, we're now not talking about the fact that we've got an extra 100,000 people in the country who are most likely going to be here almost permanently. So where are the extra planning, the local planning, I mean, sorry, wrote down local development plans here. They're almost out the window at this stage. Mm. You know, we're talking about building 32,000 houses every year and we maybe might, well, might we need... Well, was boasting yeah, about and, that. And we might need 35. Yes. But that's based on three or four years ago, our population. Our population has now increased by 150,000, 200,000. So those... Uh, plans are going to have to increase. We're constantly firefighting. What are we going to do to get past the next mm. problem instead of looking at the longer term? Mm. Now, Noel is right. Maybe if 100,000 Ukrainians stay in the country and they go into the workforce and they go into the building industry, mm. they go into the hospitality industry, that could be good for the country. But they still have to be housed. They still have to be educated. Well, they'll be trained as well. They have I mean, to be trained. Yeah. We also have to look at, funnily, Noel mentioned about um, his friend um, giving the house to a Ukrainian people mm. who are working. I mean, are, are you Ukrainian people who are working still getting the 800 euro um, rent allowance where an Irish person who's working doesn't get it mm. you know which is not fair as far as I'm concerned mm. you know Ukrainian people well, coming in well, automatically, advantage, automatically get medical cards yeah. or automatically get um, access to services that Irish people in the same position don't so how long is that going to go on for because a funny figure came out and struck me at, at the weekend if you see in the Daily Mail 650 million euro was spent on housing uh, refugees and Ukrainians six of last in year. six months of last yeah. year. Mm. So it's fair to assume that 1.3 million was spent 
1.3 billion was spent on the whole year. Okay, yes, yeah. 1.2 billion was spent on and, giving. And the social welfare cost mm. of that was 750 yeah. million. Yeah. But what I'm saying, Fan, is 1.2 billion was spent on rental subsidy supports for Irish people. Yeah. So we're now actually spending more on accommodation supports for non-Irish than we're spending on Irish. But overall, we're spending 2.5 billion on accommodation supports when we're not going to own a brick of a house, when we're not going to own a room, a room of a hotel, and that's coming out of taxpayers' pockets. Um, so we're doing it wrong. And we're doing it completely Frank. wrong. Yes. If you if you go back one step on that, though, I mean. Even before the refugee crisis, we had a crisis in terms mm. of housing and a lack of investment in housing uh, for, so, worse, for yeah. social needs. And the government a couple of years ago took a crazy policy of the HAP scheme where mm-hmm. we'll pay mm-hmm. landlords to accommodate you and so on without addressing the real issue. David McWilliams had an yeah. interesting article last week in the Irish Times where he said we need to be building at towns of 50,000. We need to go mm. onto a greenfield site yeah. and build. That is how great the housing need is. And it would be a better investment of saying to people with vacant properties, mm. uh, you know, mm. use it or lose it. Um, we're going to give you the money to bring this back into use uh, to provide housing for people. Mm. Well, isn't that because of an ideology around how housing should be provided? But, yeah, is that really what's at it the It is, but at the same time, the failure to address that is has spill-on consequences. Mm. I'll give yeah. you an example. I was talking to a businessman from Clare uh, the other day and listeners will be very familiar with Liston Varn and the great festivals mm. they used to have there. He said, all the hotels are gone now to Fictive. refugees. Now, I'm not yeah. blaming the refugees for that and I'm not blaming the owners of the hotels either because if you have a guaranteed income stream, if you you're a businessman, it would make yeah. common sense. But that has a consequences for the locals, as he said, like Ross Gray and other places, Mm. they now have nowhere to Mm socialise or to go. So, you know, there's a whole spill-on consequences. And if you you come back, the root cause of it all the way is the failure to address the housing crisis and Mm. to plan for the next 40, 50 years. Totally. Like, I've said this before, the government doesn't plan appropriately. The problem is, and I I see this all the time, right, this is a long-term plan. It is. Mm -hmm. It is 20-plus years. Okay, it is a long-term. They're only planning... Exactly. They're looking... Mm. And and, and being somebody who is in government is about working for the people, not for yourself. But isn't that the nature of the political setup that we have? It's five-year... Blocks. It's a five-year block, but yeah. you need somebody certain, in that political yeah. structure, somebody to stand up and go, do you know, lads, we're going to have to do something long-term here. Yeah. It's going to be a hereditary. It's going to pass down from well, government to government. Have you ever seen us do anything but like certain, that? No, but certain things, do. certain yeah. things, Frank. Yeah. Well, Don O'Malley yeah. was one of the few. Yeah. Well, and trees. He, 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 planting yeah. trees. Don O'Malley, do you mean with education? Well, I mean, he didn't even tell his Minister for Finance when he was going in announcing Dáil and providing free education. He stole a march. And once it was announced they knew they couldn't yeah. take it yeah. back. Certain, Sorry, certain, I need that bravery. Certain things, Fran, and I'm talking about certain what I would consider to be vital public infrastructure and that's yeah. housing is number one on that list. The political parties need to get their arses up and, well, sorry, down, sat down and say, look, we're going to need 50,000 or 60,000 houses, regardless of which party is in government. And this is how we're going to do it. Like what they're trying to do with Slauncher Care, because that's another one. And if you're building roads... Sure, we're seven years roads. into that. Exactly. Now, what, what but this is, is what I'm saying. You need to say, look, we need to build... 50, 60,000 houses. If the private sector can build 60,000 houses, let them off. If they can build 30, then the public sector has got to come in and build the other 30,000. If the private sector wants to build 40, the public will build 20. But we need 60,000 houses every single year because 
you know, the two restaurants that, that closed up in, in Tipperary last mm. week, I left a comment on one of the, 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 their Facebook pages. We said, a lot of that is down to housing. Because if people cannot afford to put a roof off their head or pay the rent, mm. there's two problems. One, they can't go out and they can't spend money. Or two, when they do have a job, they go into that job and they say, I need bigger wages because I've got to put a roof over my head, I've got to pay rent. So you're hitting the business person on one side by increasing rent, but you're also hitting on the other side by lowering the amount of business that's there. And that is down to housing. We have, Fran, in fairness in this country, and, and particularly in Dublin, we have become a very unequal society. We have a, a, a category of workers mm. now who are in the 100,000 plus mm-hmm. and they are sort of setting the market value on houses. So if you're bidding against somebody, a couple who yeah. both have 100,000 yeah. plus and you're on your average of 30 to 50,000, 50, you're, you're on a loser straight away. And that category, the, those, the average worker yeah. is, like houses now in Dublin, I, I know somebody, a friend of mine at the moment, who's in his mid-50s, has rented all his life, is now looking for a house and he's realising I get nothing below a half a million. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. And I won't even be getting somewhere oh, I can And what about Mary Lou coming yeah. along and saying then she's going to make sure that house prices are in around an average of 300,000? But the, that, the that will way, affect an economy. Yeah, the only way you're going to control house prices is build enough of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, and um, you also have to accept the fact... It's about supply, isn't Yeah, it? but yeah. you also yeah. have to accept the fact, and again, those who, who don't learn their history are condemned yeah. to repeat the mistakes... We've always had a housing crisis in Mm -hmm. this country. Always. But even in the worst times in the 1930s, in fairness to the Fianna Fáil government that came into power, they built Ballymun or built uh, Ballyfermot and Clondalkin and places and provided them. But that was to deal with the crisis we had in housing inside in the Liberties, where literally blocks of houses were falling down. Tenements. Crisis. But this is is the problem, Fine. We have. And one thing I will really criticise Sinn Fein about is Mary Lou coming out and saying we need to get a house price down to 300,000 mm. to affordable house. 300,000 is not affordable because Noel is dead right. We're talking about the tech sector and in Clonmel we're talking about the, mm. the, the pharmaceutical sector or we're talking about the medical device sector. But there's people who work in shops, there's people mm. who work in offices, there's cleaners, there's people who are on much less wages than the higher level earners. Well, that's where your social health is. this is Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we cannot have a tech sector mm. without all those mm. other ancillary uh, services feeding into the sector. Yes. But those people deserve a safe, affordable place to live as well. So 300000 is too expensive to buy. Can so I? If you can't buy, sorry, mm. Noel, if those people can't buy a 300000 we need to give people social housing. I grew up in a council housing estate right. and the, the, the rent was fixed based on the income my dad earned. Right. And in but, that but estate... But Liam, economics are your thing. If you interfere with a housing market... You have to interfere with it. But, in this but case... But it's very, very dangerous. I mean, from a negative no. e- equity point of view, and the overall economy. He, look here, at what happened with the bubble. You if, know? If, we're going, if we're going to go down that road, we're then we're pretending to ourselves. Because negative equity will, will inevitably become a part of solving the problem. Because every single person that comes in here and talks about solving the housing crisis says more supply more supply. Well, I can give you an economics lesson. If you put more supply into any market, the price Price of the good will go down. That's fifth-year economics. So we have to accept that if we're going to create more supply, the price or value of the good will go down. down So stop pretending we're going to keep the prices high and put in more right, supply. Just, just quickly before yeah, I move but on. Yeah. Fran, uh, another, another fact, you know, it, it's not just about building houses. We have a, we've a huge section of this country, uh, the 1960s, baby boomers and late 50s, uh, who are 
now living in houses they're family reared mm. and uh, they have three and four bedroomed houses they don't need them but in any development we're not planning for that where somebody can downsize oh, there are yeah. a lot of yeah. people in villages and places around who want to stay in their area mm. if a housing development happened there should be the option that mm. you can downsize and make the larger house right. then become and just a final point are you seeing anything that might indicate to you that there's a vision coming for for, for really. Tequila. No, you're, you're I not haven't. Anything, no, right? the only thing I saw recently where they they I, I felt like oh my god they listened to me is the modular houses that they're yeah. they're mm. you know putting into yeah. supply to mm. to help manage the refugee crisis. So that's hopefully it's going to take some of the pressure off. But they need to get in place a legacy plan for housing. Yeah. Okay, that's let, it. Let me take another break. We'll be back with our panel. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie With... If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to our Friday panel. Uh, Liam Brown is with us, Paula Carney, Hoffler and uh, Noel Buckley as well. We're moving on. Independent uh, TD, Marion Harkin. She was admonished, I suppose is the best word, in the Doyle by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar this week for saying that people need to try to understand the fear that women have about groups of males being dropped into uh, communities. Now, in the course of that, she brought up um, uh, uh, the very recent murder that we're all conscious about, I suppose, and the Taoiseach got very, very cross uh, about it. But can can I start with you, Paula, and ask you that question? Do men really understand the fear that women might have in situations where uh, a place might be full of young males gathering together. Uh, To be honest, right, this bugs me. I think men do understand. They do understand, you know. And I I understand where Marion Harkin is coming from, where she shared her thoughts, but I also understand where the Taoiseach is coming Mm -hmm. from. Do you know what I mean? I am a woman, generally, and, um, you know, I would feel uncomfortable if there's a large group of men, whether they're, they're Irish men or not Irish men. Mm. My concern goes back to this where, you know, they talk about the unvetted men. Who vets the Irish men? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. If there's a large group of lads hanging around, yes, as a woman, I am going to be nervous. Okay, I'll have my keys in my hand so I can stick mm. it in their eye. They come near me. I'll have my big kicky boots on and I'll get their knees or wherever else. But I'd be also very, very afraid of a large group of women that are up to no good, young teenage women. I've seen in Dublin, groups of women attack people. So, you know, it's it's the thing. So, yeah, large groups can be uncomfortable. They can be fearful. But I think at the end of the day, it's not just one culture or Mm. one group that you will be fearful of. Right. And do you think, I mean, do you think the T-shirt was right to admonish um, Deputy Harkin, just in terms of her bringing all the things into the conversation. I, I think, uh, you know, my heart goes out to Ashling's family and what happened to Ashling was awful. You know what mm. I mean? It is something that we use at the benchmark. And, and I think he was right to say to her, listen, don't tie the two together because mm. they're different. Mm. You know, that he was that guy who killed Ashling, that, that mm. bad man, was a European citizen and he was living here 10 years. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't was an eye pass or anything like that. So, you know, it's completely different. And that's what people... And I think what happens is when people bring up this stuff and go, oh, you know, we're, we're afraid of our women and our children and all this kind of stuff. Yes, there is a fear there of large groups of men who have nothing to do. 
find something for them to do. Do you know what I mean? You know, manage it in such a way where asylum seekers are going into mixed communities, families and single men. I brought this up before. That reduces any potential issue. But there's no proof that, you know, um, refugees are causing or increasing crime in Ireland. There's no proof. Well, that's according we to the that. commissioner. That's that's what he's yeah. saying. You you seem to be in agreement with what Paul is saying there, Noel, are you? Yeah, I, I would be. I think the Taoiseach, uh, in fairness, disagree with him on some things, but I would have to say he has to be careful, if you like. The floor of the doll is a platform and it is reported regularly on the news. So, you know, you'll always hear the clips uh, and so on. So he he has to be careful that the political system isn't seen to stir up um, anti-migrant uh, feelings and so on. Like Paula said, any large group of people. I mean, uh, when I was teaching myself, I used to I had a, an ex-police officer who used to come in and, and teach the girls when they were in transition year self-defence, how to be aware of your environment. And I mean, and this is way before. This is way before any of this. Yeah. yeah, and and like I mean, any of us going out, especially if you're going out at particular times of the evening or night, whether you're male or female, unless you're naive, you need to be aware of your environment. And I suppose women, uh, in particular, are often a vulnerable target. But go down any town if there's a large group they don't have to be non-Irish um, mm. they can be intimidating mm. and I have listened to elderly people here in Clonmel um, who often feel intimidated going downtown yes and we've uh, heard their stories and you've heard program, their yeah. stories yeah. so don't make this a migrant issue this is an issue of personal safety um, that could apply in any situation. All right. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, you, you heard that clip, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to be very careful before I answer to preface <laughs> it because I'm going to disagree with Paula and I don't want to be accused of mansplaining to the one female in the room. <laughs> but what I will say is... You're what a brave I, man if you would. What I, so so to, to do it, I'm going to say I my answer is going to come after speaking to my wife and two kids last night. I have um, 21, 23-year-old and 21 in March. And listening to other women, and I think that um, we don't understand the fear that women have. Men do not fully understand the fear that women feel. Uh, we think differently to them, and I'd give a perfect example of myself and one of my daughters. We were in Birmingham a couple of years ago going to a concert, and we walked through a pretty sketchy area to get to the concert, and my daughter admitted to me two days later that she was frightened of her life going through the area where I walked through it, and I didn't think there was anything wrong. So... I think there's a difference between actual fear and perception of fear. And I do think that um, women do perceive fear differently to men. They take more care and they shouldn't have to, but they know they do. They're more cautious and they shouldn't have to be, but they are. And we've got to ask ourselves, why is that the case? Um, in the case of what Marion Harkin has said, um, she, and I've said this two weeks ago when I was here and I was kind of admonished by Mark and Paul here as well when I mentioned Ashley Murphy. It may not be a case that there's any increased crime or any increased um, assaults perpetrated by people from outside the country, asylum seekers, but there is a belief that there could be and you cannot discount the fact that but women are scared. who's feeling that belief, Liam? You know, the, uh, women are belief? feeling that belief, no. No, no. Sorry, no. Sorry, no. no. Who's, fe uh, well, who's feeding the sorry, belief? Sorry, oh, feeding. Yeah. It doesn't matter who feeds the belief. Mm. The fact that it's there. And there's no point telling a woman that she shouldn't she shouldn't be not scared mm. if she is. That's very mm. condescending. Who, who do you think is feeding that belief? Well, I mean, you, you've only to listen to the far-right commentary. 
they're they're generating that belief that you know uh, non-Irish are a threat to your mothers, your daughters, this, that, mm. and the other. The Irish are as big a threat <laughs> as well, you know. And that, what I'm saying is they're, they're trying to categorise it and say the threat is belonging to a particular group. I am not denying that women can feel vulnerable no, and threatened. No, let, let me give you. Let me say this to you. We had this the, the meeting about um, a potential of 75 refugees mm. coming into Cashel mm. last November. Um, that was the first time I see a room a, at a political meeting where there was more females than men in the room. Mm. It was the first time where most of the most emotional um, contributions from the floor were given by women rather than by men. Men came up and we shouted and roared, but women came up and they were very, they were very rational in what they said. And if there was seventy-five Irish people, okay, one second, in. sorry, Noel, and, so and sorry, 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 Noel, Paul, just let me finish the point. The point a lot of them made is they understand that there is a danger from Irish men just as much because, as Paula says, the danger is from men. Okay, not you know they're, they're scared of men. No, no, but but generally, let, let's be honest. about it. The danger is for men. They don't want to walk past groups of men. They're intimidated by groups mm. of men, whether they're Irish or non-Irish. Mm. But the prevailing attitude was was we already feel danger from this. So why would we introduce something else mm. into it Paul, and have Paula, extra you, danger? You well, you see, I, okay, so from a psychological aspect, so I am a woman, I am fearful of mm. large groups of men, doesn't matter who mm. they are. Mm. Why would I feel more fear about another group of men over other, other groups, groups of men? Is it because I'm afraid of their culture? Maybe I don't mm. understand their cultural background. Maybe I don't feel like I know, or maybe I have mm. perceptions sometimes, sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly from, from what I've seen mm. on but television you, you or said, in the news. Is that not valid though? Oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that fear to feel fear is a valid feeling. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm what I'm saying is you can't kind of look and sort of say, well, these twenty men can't live here because I'm afraid. You can't do that, and you can't paint people with the same brush. You just can't. You I need to work that. with the perceptions. I know. Sorry, you need to work with the perceptions. You need to maybe mm. introduce, as I said, com combinations mm. of of families living with single men. Have that mix. That will reduce the fear. There will always be fear and anxiety. Doesn't make a difference, mm. but it will reduce it. And it, and you know, have people understand that. But I think what happens is when we mull on it and we talk about it more, we create more fear. Yeah. We create yeah. more drama the, and more the, more the aspects other, around. The other it. danger of that then is what Noel said a few minutes ago on the on the the in the doll where they have to be more politically correct and we're watching our language. We can't say this because we're politically correct. That's no good to somebody who then is told they cannot discuss a problem, they can't discuss the perception. Because, for example, if you take the cases in Rotherham and in, in England, where there was Muslim men uh, grooming young girls. Absolutely. Mm. But the police felt that they could not investigate those cases because if they did, they would be accused of, of uh, being at one particular religion or at one particular mm. group of men. So they almost discounted the fact and they said they couldn't talk about it. So what I feel is, is we're saying to women, it is perfectly valid, but we shouldn't talk about it because if we do, no, that's a bit racist. I'm not saying no. that. Don't so we're talk not, about it. So we're not it. having the open discussion. And that's what I'm afraid of, is that we won't have an no, open discussion. This is an open discussion. Open discussion. Open discussion. We are yeah. having discussions yeah. about it. What I don't agree with is that tarring everybody with the same brush. Oh, all those those refugees. Oh, they're all rapists all. and whatever else. I know, but this is what's happening. This is how it's being construed. And this would be a, maybe a right-wing move. I don't know. It's being construed. It really bothers me. As a woman, I don't want all the men in this well, world how do, we have to, how do we have the discussion without going to the extremes? Well, all right, I, no, no, yes. Can I just... Yeah. The unfortunate thing is we have the discussion 
at flashpoints. Yeah. And those flashpoints, uh, the team of those discussions is us versus them. Mm-hmm. And you will never have healthy, open dialogue in that type of flashpoint situation. Can I give you an example on the Telegraph channels uh, when the Ross Gray meeting, they were sending out templates, you know, burn them out, uh, your mothers and daughters are in danger and so on. So they're generating Mm -hmm. a flashpoint discussion. And the best discussions need to happen away from that. And 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 away from the culture but, but of it's where, where are they them. happening? Yeah. Where yeah, well, are they? I happening, suppose. Though? Yeah, generally you see. I suppose people very often find it easier to unite for selfish reasons rather than selfless reasons. So uh, very often people might have those thoughts about those things, but they never talk about them until suddenly, God, there's a group of migrants coming to our town, and suddenly all the views I have are poured mm-hmm. out. Uh, but I think I think in schools, for instance, um, is one place uh, that they are happening. And schools are multicultural now. I know one school in the Midlands that have eighty different nationalities, mm. and they foster that. And my brother-in-law or my son-in-law is teaching in a school where, and he was talking about at primary school the way each share their culture and that. So it's happening at down at the and, younger and you level. see that as uh, positive. A positive where they're actually recognising every culture has a richness to bring to us. We are better. I, I was I was at a mayor reception uh, here in town uh, during the week of a person who came to this country and has made a huge contribution, David Angelus there of Comida. Now, he came in. He was a foreigner coming into Ireland. He has now taken out Irish citizenship. But look at the contribution he has made to this mm. town. Yeah. Do you, do you want to reply to... Oh, absolutely. Something? And I mean, I, I've said this before. This isn't a foreigner thing. This yeah. is talking about perception. Mm. And if you if you make decisions and, like, we're saying, OK, we can have open discussions. Fran said to us, Fran's been called toxic mm. because he's actually giving mm. people a chance to talk. This is one of the few places, yeah. Tip FM, have been mm. very open. Yeah. And me mm. and you and Paula yeah. and Mark has been here in the past and we can have a disagreement Agreement, yeah. and we can go out and we can sit down and talk about it afterwards mm. and that's fine. And that's the culture you and want. And that's what we should want mm. and that's what we should need. And Fran has been facilitating that and yet mm. Fran has been attacked mm. for but can I give you? That. Can I give you an interesting... attack for your opinion can, and views anyway. Yeah. Can no I give you an interesting example? Mm. When I had the police officer, he was an English police officer, Officer in doing the uh, with the girls, you know, protecting your person's mm. safety and that. And he, he chatted him. He said, "How many of you have found mm. very often when you're out at the discos or whatever the social events that people?" He talked about personal space have invaded mm-hmm. your personal space, and most of the girls in the room talked about that. That mm-hmm. lads had come up to, and he, they weren't talking about migrants. They were talking about, about Irish, Irish people. So what yeah. I'm saying is, he did a whole education program mm-hmm. on raising awareness mm-hmm. about, you know, protecting your personal space, being assertive enough, knowing your rights, and knowing if your personal space is threatened, how but, to deal right. with and it. And Paula, just before I wrap up, yeah. can I give you the last word on on, okay. on, on, on this? Um, what, what I just you say think we need. It's like what the lads were saying. We need proper. Dialogue. Dialogue. Mm. We need to open the conversation. You know, there is opposing views, absolutely, but we need to figure out actually what is the fear yeah. in detail. Name so name it, get it out there so it can be addressed. Mm. And right. then if we can address it, it'll resolve. But the, the, the just or at least that, support those so, ma- so many women, right, I, I can tell you, so many me women up. say that if they name the fear, they'll be accused of being called, they'll be called racist. No, they and won't. They're afraid to be called names. But you're saying mm. they won't, I'm but saying, I'm, tell you they I'm will telling be. you now, 
talk about your fears, what perceptions you have. Name it. Name yeah. the fear because if you don't name it, All it right. will never be dealt with. There I must leave it. But thanks to Noel and to Paula and uh, to Liam. Excellent panel. And thank you very much indeed. That's it for me, Leanne, produced. And uh, <laughs> and the discussion goes on. And Ellie looks after her content. Stephen's on the way with the time tunnel. And I'll talk to you on Monday. And I'll see you in Cashel tonight if you want to make your way there for what's going to be a special night in Holland and Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.